duration of the meeting. If you would like to speak to the Commission on any item, please fill out speaker cards for each item on which you would like to address the Commission. Please state your name for the record before you make your statements, and please limit your remarks to three minutes. In terms of public comment, if there is something near and dear to your heart that is not on tonight's agenda but that you would like to share with the Commission, then I refer you to item six on the agenda. This is the appropriate time for members of the public to address the Commission on matters not on the current agenda but are related to general agency business. If you wish to address the Commission on public comment, again, please fill out a speaker card. I also want to remind you that this is not a time for us to engage in a debate or discussion, but it is simply a time for you to state your business, your matter, your concerns, and we also accept compliments to the staff and to the Commission. If you have questions, you can follow up with the staff or Commissioners during a break or after adjournment. It is not appropriate for Commissioners to engage in debate or respond on issues not properly set in a publicly noticed meeting agenda. It's important for me to inform you that no disruption of these proceedings will be tolerated. No personal attacks on anyone present or out there in the world somewhere will be tolerated. Members of the public are requested to stay within the designated public seating area behind the speaker's podium. Members of the press are requested to film or record the Commission meeting from the side area of the designated press seating area and that the filming or videotaping or recording equipment should not interfere at any time with the public's view of and participation in the meeting. These guidelines are in the spirit of promoting open and orderly public meetings. At our last regular meeting, there was some consternation because people were not permitted to yield their time at the podium to other people. I requested that our General Counsel, Jim Morales, please give us a reading on whether or not this is appropriate as to practice and to law. And there are copies of the memo that was generated for the Commission. There are copies for the public at the entryway if you would like a copy. I will just read a portion of this. Recently, public speakers at agency committee meetings sought to yield portions of their unexpired public comment time to other speakers. At my request, the agency's legal division has prepared this memo to address the propriety of yielding time. Neither law nor policy requires the Commission to allow one public speaker to yield his or her time to another speaker. The Commission has the authority to limit each public speaker to speak once on each calendared item for up to three minutes. So there. Now we are done with housekeeping matters. On to tonight's meeting. This is a special meeting, as everyone knows, and it is to give us a chance to 
really look at uh, the Western Edition A2 redevelopment project area. Our tenure in the Western Edition ends by law on January 1st, 2009. This is the first time we have had a large public meeting at the sunset of one of our project areas. But the Western Edition will not be the only project area that sunsets. Very soon, we will have Yerba Buena Center sunsetting as well as India Basin. So as we go on, we're trying to, uh, staff and commission members, trying to work out a formula that will permit us to look back, assess where we are, and move forward. So tonight, that is what we will be doing. I appreciate you giving your time and attention to these matters. Uh, staff has been working quite vigorously on their presentation, which I um, should let you know is lengthy because we were in the Western Edition for 40 years. So there's a great deal that we have to say, a lot of territory to cover. And because we have been there for 40 years, you also have a great deal to tell us, and we are here to listen to that. Madam Secretary, could you please call the first item? Thank you, Madam President. Commissioners, good afternoon. The first order of business is item one, recognition of a quorum. There is a quorum present. For the record, Commissioner Chu is absent. The next order of business is item two, report on actions taken at previous closed session meeting, if any. There is no reportable action. The next order of business is item three, matters of unfinished business, of which there are none. The next order of business is item four, matters of new business. The first order of business on the regular agenda is item 4A, workshop on the coordinated efforts on behalf of the redevelopment agency and other city agencies on the transition of the Western Edition A2 redevelopment project areas expiring in 2009. The following will be discussed. Western Edition historical overview, Western Edition A2 redevelopment plan goals and accomplishments, physical elements and streetscape, housing, zoning and entitlements, economic development, business development, workforce development, Western Edition Citizens Advisory Committee, Board of Supervisors Legislative Actions, Certificate of Preference Program. Madam President. Uh, thank you. I will now go to our Executive Director, Fred Blackwell, who will introduce all of these topics. Which mic doesn't seem to be working? I see.
Could you please increase the volume on his microphone? Mr. Blackwell, can you say something so that she can check your level? Can you use the other one, please? It isn't. You want to use mine? <laughs> All right. Now, Fred, Black will try again. Am I good? Yes. All right. You're good to go. Thank you. Um, so what I wanted to do just to kick things off is provide everybody with a kind of roadmap for what we're going to be presenting this evening. And what you can see here is a number of elements to the transition plan, um, starting with the physical elements and streetscape. Um, what I wanted to do, though, is kind of provide some context. Uh, the, our work in the Western Edition is actually quite unique because the agency actually has a jurisdiction in this neighborhood that is very unique. We, in addition to uh, being the entity that receives and distributes tax increment funding in the area, um, we also have uh, land use and entitlement uh, jurisdiction. We have been responsible for a number of DPW-like uh, responsibilities in the Western Edition, and we have also been on an ongoing basis funding a number of programs focused on economic and workforce development. And so the transition plan, as you can see from this slide, speaks to a lot of these elements. We've been working with a number of city departments, and in the spirit of collaboration, uh, those departments are here today and are going to be taking on a number of the pieces of this presentation. One of the things, though, uh, that we thought was critically important that, that the commissioners gave us the direction to do is put all this transition planning work into the proper context. Um, and I have made a, a lot of presentations um, and have done a lot of PowerPoint stuff and talked to a lot of people. But when it comes to trying to set the proper context for uh, 40 years of the agency's work in the Western Edition, I have to admit that this is difficult. Um, one of the things that we wanted to do was provide you um, with somewhat of the historical perspective of the agency's work, uh, what the A2 area looks like, what the goals and objectives were in the plan, and some of the things that the agency has accomplished um, in the Western Edition A2 area. Um, but what we also wanted to do is not run from or hide the fact that not all of the work, as a matter of fact, a very little part of the work has actually been work that people have been very proud of. Um, and in particular, the early days of the redevelopment agency's work and the city's work in the Western Edition as it relates to redevelopment has not been a happy story. Um, and rather than try to uh, depict that in words or bullets or um, a presentation or a PowerPoint form, we thought that the best way to provide some of that context for you was to do it in the way of pictures and in the voices of some of the folks who have struggled in the Western Edition and provided leadership um, on these issues over the years. Um, there are a number of folks who have done that. Uh, there have been a number of documentaries a uh, number of stories told, um, and one of those stories told is uh, a documentary called The Fillmore, which really uh, talks about the Fillmore neighborhood and the Western Edition, 
in a very broad context. They talk about people's stories. They talk about the history of the neighborhood. But there's a significant element of it that really speaks to the neighborhood's relationship with the development agency. And what we asked the director of that documentary to do is give us some excerpts from the documentary that really speaks to and can give you guys a sense of the background and the context with regard to the agency's history in the neighborhood. And so we thought that we would start with that. And then I will talk a little bit about what some of the things are that the agency has done since that moment. And so if we could cue up the video, please. I think that this will give you at least a partial snapshot of some of the history of our work in the area. Excuse me. If you have a cell phone close to any microphone, could you please remove it? It interrupts the audio signal. stagnated in a mire of politics and paper shuffling. It would be a crucial delay because in that time, the neighborhood tossed together by the war would start tenderly at first to put down roots. I was born in 1947 in a community called the Fillmore. Just plain old Fillmore, okay? We didn't have nothing. But we were happy. The houses were beautiful. Looked like gingerbread houses uh, to me at the time. And you can imagine a little kid from a little place like Manila seeing these incredible structures. By the late 50s, the Fillmore, for jazz lovers at least, was on the map. But in Mayor George Christopher's office, it was on a very different map. How long can you condone a slum area? The Fillmore area was just dilapidated. But we didn't want to leave it go for another two or three years or four years because then it would become an area that would be impossible to restore. It had been more than a decade since the area had been targeted for renewal. And though the redevelopment agency had taken little action in the neighborhood, the label of slum had stuck. Some 90% of the buildings were now owned by absentee landlords. With no incentive to keep up the properties, they wore down while chronic underemployment sent the crime rate up. There may have been a nightlife, but word on the street was the Fillmore was a bad neighborhood. 
In order to get federal money for urban renewal, City Hall had to prove there was blight in San Francisco. Each neighborhood was assigned penalty points based on conditions considered undesirable. Dilapidation, traffic accidents, tuberculosis, and near the bottom of the list, non-white population. I believe that people felt that African Americans equal blight. The Western Edition was targeted to a large extent because there was a very, very strong, vital African American community. I mean, I don't think that we can discount the issue of race here. Well, I don't think urban renewal was developed to get rid of just blacks in Central City. It was get. It, I think urban renewal was to get rid of anybody in the way of using that piece of property that's now in the middle of town for a higher purpose. Justin Herman, an urban planner himself, was the ranking bureaucrat sent from Washington to oversee urban renewal in the West. He held the purse strings for San Francisco's redevelopment, and he was disgusted with its stagnation. He felt that the city at that time did not have strong personnel that knew what the program entailed. So one day I convinced myself that I should call Herman. I said to him, there's only one solution for this matter. He says, you quit your job with the federal government, you work for the city. Justin Herman would preside over San Francisco's redevelopment for 12 years. By the end of his tenure, the city would be transformed and he would be at the center of a wrenching controversy over power, money, and race. But at the outset, he embarked on a fervent mission, making the city better for everyone. Well, Justin was a very bright man and a, a dreamer, a visionary. <clears throat> One of the two or three best urban renewal directors uh, in the country, quite frankly, in terms of his ability to see the vision for what renewal could do. But he did not understand the downsides of it in terms of its impact on, on people. What Herman envisioned for the Fillmore was breathtaking. He championed the plan for Western Edition Project A1, which had been adopted three years earlier, and took it further. The heart of old Japantown would give way to a major trade center and hotel financed by Japanese and Hawaiian banks. Next to it, an underground boulevard would replace old Geary Street, whisking commuters into downtown, bypassing the bottleneck of the Fillmore. To make way, there were some 100 acres of aging Victorians to deal with. The only problem was, people lived in them. There was no intention of involving them in the process, uh, no intention of saving the neighborhood for them, just get them out of there. Some 6,000 people lived in the pathway of Phase A1. Most were African-American, but there were whites and a smattering of resettled Japanese. Less than 20 years after Pearl Harbor, residents of the Western Edition were again told by the government they had to leave. Renters were given $50 in moving expenses, 25 if they lived on a ground floor. For homeowners, the news came first in letters, then in visits from agency personnel bearing settlement offers. Not a single house was deemed worth saving. Within two years, the heart of the Fillmore had been cleared. In its place rose the new Japan Trade Center and high-rise apartments outpricing most of the former residents. Justin Herman himself later admitted that of the 4,000 households displaced in Phase A1, only one family moved back in. 
In other words, a lot of the Negroes who came because the Japanese were pushed out now are being pushed out. Now being pushed out themselves. That's right. In effect, San Francisco is reclaiming this That's right. This property. That's right. To build it up, which means Negroes have to go. That's right. By the time James Baldwin visited the Fillmore, the black middle class was leaving for the suburbs, both by choice and by force. The Fillmore, even with some brand new housing projects, was in danger of becoming what nobody had dared name it before, a ghetto. Even after phase A1, there were still some 30,000 Fillmore residents who didn't like the worsening conditions they saw. Neither did Justin Herman. He offered a solution. A2. Phase A2 was massive. It would target some 60 square blocks, affecting more than 13,000 residents. This time, they were skeptical. I have no intention, and if a bulldozer comes down my way, baby, I'll be there in this wheelchair, and he'll have a hell of a good time. People had experienced A1, and they knew about it, and when A2 started to come along, these homeowners were up in arms. I refused to be said that because I'm black, I got to go somewhere else. And, and I decided I wasn't going to move. I wasn't going nowhere till I got good and ready. There was no community organization, but there were a bunch of concerned people. They were having one of the early meetings. They even ask you, what were you willing to accept? They don't even do that. They come and put the price to you, and then you got to accept it. I don't approve of that. Neighborhood activism was still a new idea in 1966. They called themselves Waco, the Western Edition Community Organization. We just used to raise so much hell, and they thought we was crazy. They didn't want to see us coming. We know there's a need for the uh, renewing of this area, but we would like to have the assurance and the guarantees that the process will include us at the completion date. Waco demanded a say in the planning of A2, insisting that residents should have a right to remain in the neighborhood and low-cost replacement housing built to their needs. The trouble was, they didn't have any rights. As far as the law was concerned, redevelopment was a contract between the federal government and the city. People were helpless against the power of the redevelopment agency. And somehow the city and county of San Francisco had given to Justin Herman tremendous power to, to do whatever he wanted to in this community. This will have 116 units of family housing. We call it moderate price housing because it is much lower than what the market would ordinarily provide. Well, those are Justin Herman's words. And he is going to keep talking, and while he keeps talking, he's going to keep grinding up little people. And when he stops talking and starts listening to us, maybe some of this will make some sense. Mr. Herman, that's all garbage. That's what it is. Frustrated by the ongoing demolition, Waco took direct action. We chained hands. Oh, yeah, we joined hands. He said, run over and say, and say, We don't care. We ain't got one life to give. You ain't coming in here. Well, i tell you what we did. They opened this project, which was supposed to be this great boon to the black community. We couldn't afford it. And we looked at it and we said, this is a shame to project this thing as something to benefit poor black people when it's just the opposite. So we're going to stop it. 
we padlocked that gate and then we stood in front of it and said this project is closed by the people we stood against the police department we stood against the threat of arrest we stood there we said we're not moving the agency started out with practically no black employees and the longer we fought them and the harder we fought them the more blacks they hired but the one thing that qualified them in Justin Herman's eyes was they had nothing to do with us. And if we're not participants in the plans, if we can't say within our own souls that we helped build that, we still haven't got the dignity and self-respect that it gets to take poor people to rise up and be people. With nowhere else to turn, Waco filed a federal lawsuit. It was a long shot. They hoped to catch the agency violating federal housing law and shut off its money. Herman was baffled that residents would want to delay improvements to their own community. He remarked, a litigation attorney can do nothing in the social field. We can. For Waco, just getting a judge to hear their case would be unprecedented. Up to that point, community residents did not even have the legal right to oppose redevelopment. When the decision came, it was a stunner. And not only did we sue them, but we won. We got this federal injunction, which lasted until the redevelopment agency signed a contract with us, poor little Waco, this ridiculous irritant that bothered them. Arbitrary actions were over. People had to be consulted. For the first time in U.S. history, residents had won the right to participate in the renewal of their communities. The Waco lawsuit would affect the way an entire nation came to think of residents' rights. But for the neighborhood it meant to save, it seemed to have come too late. Okay, back in the 60s, when you told us we can come back, this was, this was our promissory note. You know about that? Tell me about it. This was a certificate of preference. So when the businesses or the people that moved out of the area, if you move back once they rebuild it, this is our certificate of preference. We have first choice to come back. We stayed vacant for 20 years. So when we did decide to come back, we couldn't afford it. Who signed it? Justin Herman. We slowed the agency down. We altered some of their processes. But in the end, urban renewal performed pretty much what we feared that it would. Urban renewal became black removal. At the time of his death, few people would have remembered an early warning uttered just a year into Herman's tenure in San Francisco. Without adequate housing for the poor, this prophet said, critics will rightly condemn urban renewal as a land grab for the rich and a heartless push out for the poor and non-whites. The speaker was Justin Herman. So, as I said, you know, this is a story 
that is hard to tell in a short period of time. That excerpt attempts to tell a part of the story. There are many stories that are left out. There were Japanese families that were affected by this. There were white families that were affected by this. But we hope that that provides a little bit of context for what we're going to talk about today. What I want to do is go back to the PowerPoint. And I'm going to be brief at this point because I think that you've seen a lot of kind of the story. What this slide shows you is a map of the A2 area. In the middle of that map is A1. Just to orient you a little bit to the north there, you see it's Bush Street. To the east is Van Nest. South is Grove Street. And over to the western side of this map is St. Joseph Avenue. This is the map of the A2. This is the area that was adopted by the Board of Supervisors as a redevelopment area in 1964. Work didn't really begin in earnest until 1966 for a number of reasons, including a referendum at the state level. But this is the area. The goals of the A2 plan are important to the state, and you can see them up there. And there were basically five overarching goals. One was to restore the economic and social health of the project area. The second is to guide and stimulate sound development for people of various incomes. The third goal was to produce an urban living and working environment. The fourth goal was to preserve and enhance the unique social, cultural, and aesthetic qualities. And the fifth goal was to attract private investment. We kind of described, the video described in great detail some of the early work in the Western Addition. But there's one thing that I wanted to mention just as it relates to that is that, you know, basically the early work of the agency was not funded by tax increment financing, but funded by the federal government. And that work ranged from about 1966 to 1977. During that period, almost $71 million was dedicated to that period of time. Most of that early work, as you can see from the video, was dedicated to land acquisition. And then after that, disposition of land. And after that early phase that lasted through the late 70s, one of the things that compounded some of the issues there is that there was an extended period of litigation and disinvestment that followed for at least a decade or so. And so there was a significant amount of time after the clearance of land where land just lay fallow and really nothing happened for close to a decade. Can you hit the next slide then? Just a couple of slides I wanted to give you a sense of kind of what the land acquisition process looked like. As you can see from this slide, of the total acquisitions, and there were thousands of them, 73% of them were non-eminent domain acquisitions and 27% were eminent domain, which was the real kind of fundamental tool that was used in those early stages. The next slide gives you a sense of the types of acquisitions by entity type. As you can see, the largest proportion of people affected by eminent domain activity was individuals. 83% of the folks who were affected by that were individuals. And then on the disposition side, if you hit the next slide, again, you can get a sense of the dispositions by type, and a significant portion of those were individual as well. There have been a number of accomplishments over the agency's time in the Western Addition. Those accomplishments are not put forward as fixes to the early part of the work, but 
nonetheless, there were some things that happened. Over the period that we are talking about, 40 years or so, community-based organizations were funded to do construction and workforce development training. They were hired to do technical assistance, particularly in the Fillmore area. The agency contributed to the development of cultural facilities, public buildings, office and commercial buildings, and a new state office building. We anticipate the creation of the Japantown Community Benefits District. This last slide kind of gives you a sense in the aggregate of what was done and some of the things that were accomplished. On the housing front, over 8,400 units of new housing were created. 3,320 of those units were affordable. That represents close to 40%. On the economic development side, from 1977 to 2008, directly the agency invested more than $51 million. And indirectly, you can see they leveraged a little bit more than a billion dollars. And then lastly, in terms of workforce development impact, in total we're talking about close to 7.4 million work hours. 23% of those work hours went to Western Edition residents. 20% of those non-Western Edition residents, but San Francisco residents, collectively we're talking about 43% or 3 million or so of those work hours going to local residents. So that kind of gives you a sense of kind of the backdrop from an historical perspective, a little bit of what the agency has accomplished over time. And what I wanted to do at this point was pass it to the chair of the Western Edition CAC, Reverend Arnold Townsend, to make some remarks about the community's participation in this process and emphasize some of the things that I think need to be emphasized from a community perspective. Thank you, Mr. Blackwell. Chairman Covington, Commissioner, Supervisor Mercorimi, let me say a couple of things to start out. That number one, the community's participation was never voluntary. They had no choice. It was pushed upon them and they had to accept. I had really hoped that I would speak later in the program so I could kind of sum up what had gone on before. That's not to be. But let me say that we will be discussing at the next CAC, I'm going to put forward a proposal that we hold our own workshop so we can really give the community's view on what redevelopment has meant to us. Let me say, kind of try to start out where the film left off or maybe some things that were left out because I can't really say all that I need to in the time that I have. First of all, you need to know that the statistics that caused this to be called a blighted community in many cases were manipulated statistics. Research that we did years ago showed that one of the things the city used to declare blighted was the TB rates. And they put headlines in the paper on what the percentage of folk were who had tuberculosis. But what they didn't say was that percentage was about the same as it was throughout the rest of the city. They took pictures to show the blighted area like on trash day. And in those days, you know, when the scavengers came to pick up your trash, they just threw the cans down. And when you got home from work, you picked the cans up and took them in the back. Well, they showed the picture while people were at work and there were garbage cans lying all over, which showed clearly one of the reasons it was blighted. So that's one of the ways it was done. Near the end of the film, when they talk about 
how, um, and I'm skipping because I have to, <clears throat> near the end of the film when they talked about the victory of Waco, what could have happened and should have happened then is Justin Herman should have declared Waco the project area committee. He could do that legally. Uh, in Bayview, he, he designated an already existing organization, Joint Housing Committee, as the PAC. But in the Western Edition, he didn't do that because he didn't like the leadership of Waco. And he created WayPAC. And the first thing the agency did when they created WayPAC was they put together a board of directors of 70-plus members. Now, you can't get anything done with 70-plus members. When a proposal, a developer, when groups of developers came through and bid, if one developer won a narrow majority with 30-some votes, he had, he had a, 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 a close, similar number, 25 or 40 or 50 people, against him or her. So there were more people going down who was against this developer than were for it, and then that gave the agency the license to do what it wanted to do without considering the community's position. So when we talked, someone asked me, was I going to say anything complimentary about the redevelopment process? I said, I can't think of nothing. But I was wrong. I was wrong. I admit it. I apologize. The redevelopment agency was successful at one very important thing, and that was Negro removal. It was absolutely outstanding when it came to destroying not only a community, but a way of life. You had people who had moved here from the South. And if I come here from the South and get a job, first thing I do is write, because we didn't call in those days, but I wrote a letter to my brother or my best friend that I went to school with and say, I talked to the man, he's holding the job for you. And he came out, he came with his wife, they lived with us until they found a place across the street, around the corner, or downstairs. And I watched their kids when they were gone, and they watched mine. And we, when I saw their kids out of line, I checked them when they saw mine. And that's the kind of community that we had. When you build housing, I understand when you run those people out, it's almost impossible to put them back. But the redevelopment agency didn't even try. They didn't even try to rebuild the social structure that we had created on our own. And that's the saddest part. That is, it is so painful to stand here and know that you're leaving. And on the one hand, it's easy to say, it's good you're gone. But on the other hand, I have to admit that we failed. Whenever I'm complimented for standing up to the redevelopment agency, I always tell folks, yeah, I may have, but I wasn't very good at it because we still lost. We still failed. We got run out of town, and we got run out of town in, 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 in an unbelievable way. So the board went from 74 people to 54. Now, you'll see in the film where, uh, at, at, and on the slides where Mr. Blackwell talked about, only 27% was eminent domain. But once eminent domain came in, the banks redlined. And you can look in the Chronicle and the old Examiner archives. They came out years later, Wells Fargo Bank of America, and apologized. They admitted it. Now, when they were doing it, I know two mayors for a fact that I said personally to, we're being redlined. 
Dianne Feinstein, Joe Alioc, and they assured us that they had talked to the bank presidents and they had told them they were red, not, not redlining our communities. But they came out later and apologized for it. But what happened when you're, they're redlining people's homes, yeah, they're going to become dilapidated because they can't afford to fix it up. And then they have to sell and leave or they're going to lose the most important investment that their family has. So, while, so when people start saying, yeah, well, black folks sold those homes, they didn't have a choice. They had to sell them or let them crumble down around their ears. And for most of our families, your home is the one piece of, only piece of capital that you really have. So we need to understand the, 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 the meanness, the meanness and the mean-spiritedness that occurred do, during this entire process. Um, the, the, the rights that people have, you saw in the film, they got because they fought for them, not because the agency knew. And, and just to show you that the agency did know some things about social problems, when the agency started, they had social workers on staff. The late Gene Suttle, tremendous agency uh, staff person, strong community supporter. The late Gene Suttle started at the agency as a social worker and worked his way up to being the deputy director or the assistant director. Uh, so they knew there were going to be some social and psychological problems created. So, and then the agency made promises to our community, and to paraphrase the late Dr. King, you talk about a check marked insufficient funds. There's probably never been a check bounced higher in the United States of America than the check, than the promise that was given to this community to rebuild it for them. The fact of the matter, it was not rebuilt for us. And the, 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 the film was not real clear. This was a thriving community. May have had our problems, but the people in business were not shutting down their businesses. They were making a living in those businesses. Not only that, they hired people. There were a countless number of folk who worked. Um, I, 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 I just got the signal. I got to wind up. So hopefully the committee will agree that we need to have our own forum because there's so much that needs to be said and we just can't, can't let y'all get away with this. If I could say it real clearly, let me say this. For the future, I think our tax increment funds need to stay in our community and not used to build affordable housing anywhere but in the Western Edition until we have some satisfaction that uh, working class people can live in the neighborhood that they've been associated with. We don't have the money. We're not wealthy enough to be sharing what little wealth we have with the rest of the city, and we love our city. Secondly, you need to do something about the agency's failure in rebuilding the black community's economic viability that we had before you came. You need to do something. Leave money, leave a committee, whatever it takes. But you just can't run out after closing down all those businesses and run out when there's been three or four or five created. You can't do that. I, 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 you, you ought to do everything you can uh, to keep that from happening. Good thinking and right thinking folk will not allow that to happen to us. And because and, and, if y'all don't care, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious the rest of the city sure in the hell don't care. And then finally... I think the mayor, the commission, and the director, and I'm being real honest, I think this is about the 
best commission we've ever had a chance with for me to, and the best director we've had a chance with for me to ask you to do this. I think you need to get with the mayor and hold a press conference and give an official apology, an official and formal apology to the Western Edition and the black community for what you did to us. If it is right, if it is right, and I'm through, uh, Madam President, if it is right for the President of the United States, and, and we are rightly angry at him for refusing to apologize, then it's right for you to apologize, because I don't think you can move on right into other communities until you do. Because as a preacher, I read where there is no, where there is no repentance, there is no salvation, and you will only repeat the sins and errors of your past if you don't get it behind you. Thank you so much. Townsend. Um, as I said at the top, you know, one of the things that's unique about the, uh, the agency's uh, tenure in the Western Edition is that we have assumed responsibilities uh, that generally different city departments uh, would assume. And one of those has to do what, with the infrastructure and maintenance issues of the Western Edition. Um, the first element of the um, transition plan that we want to present to you um, has to do with the plans that we have been uh, working on um, with the Department of Public Works. And the director of the Public Works Department, Ed Riskin, is here to talk about uh, some of the plans around the transition that have to do with the physical. Director Riskin. Thank you. Good afternoon, uh, Madam President, members of the Commission, Supervisor McAreamy, staff members of the public. My name is Ed Riskin. I'm the Director of Public Works. And as uh, Director um, Blackwell mentioned, uh, we at the Public Works Agency um, are in the process or poised to assume a lot of the improvements that the Re Redevelopment Agency made in the Western Edition during the course of this redevelopment project. Um, we have some slides. I don't know if we can get those up. And, and I have to say it's, it's a little bit difficult coming back to uh, mundane topics of street lights and trees uh, following the previous presentations. Uh, but, but nevertheless, that's, that, that is where we come in. And the, what I'm going to talk about are um, the items that are up on the screen. The, 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 real, the most significant issues are the trees, the sidewalks, and the lights and a few other uh, smaller issues, and this is along Fillmore Street. So the, the context is that, the, as, you, as you know, the purpose of this meeting um, is because the redevelopment area is ending, and when it ends, um, because as Fred mentioned of the somewhat unique work that redevelopment did in this area, there's a lot of public infrastructure that has been put in place that um, needs a, a home and a steward. In order for us and the Public Utilities Commission, our partner agency, to assume stewardship of this infrastructure, there, there's a certain amount of work that we need to do to bring it up to city standards such that we can maintain it. And so that's really what um, I'm going to just briefly cover here. Um, this, the scope of work in terms of our bringing this up to standard 
with a, a little bit of allowance for maintenance is what's before you. It's the the lighting, the blue bluegrass uh, glass bridge, um, the trees and sidewalks, and then again a small maintenance allowance. So in terms of the lighting fixtures, there are roughly 70 fixtures um, that look like the one you see on your screen um, that were installed by the redevelopment agency. The, a lot of those are not in good working condition or in good shape. Uh, they're not uh, a very robust fixture, so we are proposing replacing with a more standard type of fixture, as is now pictured on your screen. Um, this is the, the single biggest uh, piece of work that we have as a part of this uh, overall infrastructure improvement. Uh, we not only need to replace the uh, lights and the fixtures, but a lot of the wiring that goes underneath. Uh, this visual gives you a, maybe some idea of what it would look like. It's a somewhat more standard street light, and from at least initial conversations or some feedback we've gotten from the community, it's a, a welcome change. The, the next piece of uh, work, and there's a, I think there's a typo, I apologize, on the slide. It should say condition. And what it did show was a broken piece of glass on the on the bridge. Um, as everyone in that community knows, that bridge has had a, a or that piece of art on the bridge has had a challenged time um, in terms of maintenance because it gets covered with graffiti, it gets broken. We just recently actually replaced uh, the broken glass, but there's a small amount of work uh, to be done to uh, maintain that um, piece. And then the the like we jumped ahead. The, the, okay, the, the, uh, the other main uh, piece, and we don't have a slide for it, um, has to do with the trees and sidewalks along on Fillmore Street. There are uh, about 42 trees uh, that were planted um, along that stretch, and that's from, um, I think, McAllister or Golden Gate to, to just north of Geary to, to Post Street. That's me making that noise. Um, ten of those trees are not in good shape and need to be removed and replaced. In, uh, in all cases, um, we have root damage. Uh, we have sidewalk damage because of the roots of the trees. And so what we'll be doing is repairing that damage. We'll be removing and reseeding all of those pavers. These are not standard uh, it's not a standard sidewalk for the city, but it's one that um, we understand the community prefers and, and we'll be able to retain that. We will expand the tree basins so that we can protect uh, against future disruption to the sidewalk, but we'll reseat and uh, replant the trees and we'll be maintaining those. The summary of the costs for all of those items is uh, on the screen before you. It's, we have a, a budget of $1.8 million. That's enough to, for us to do the work, and it gives us a little bit of a cushion for maintenance. Uh, beyond that, we don't have budget to maintain this, so we will have to absorb the maintenance costs in our budget, as will the PUC. The PUC will be maintaining the street lights. Uh, the Public Works Department will be maintaining the, the bridge, the sidewalks, and the trees. And that, in a nutshell, is the, the project that we've been working on in partnership with the Redevelopment Agency, and I'd be happy to answer any questions. So, thank 
you, Director Riskin. The only other part that I wanted to mention about the kind of physical and street elements is Gene Suttle Plaza. As you all know, the agency shares ownership with two other entities here. There's a need for us to, in the future, kind of dig into an exploration of the options with regard to future ownership and maintenance of that site. At this point, I'd like to bring to the microphone the agency's Deputy Executive Director, Stephen Madouli-Williams, to talk about the economic and business development component of the transition plan. And I think he's going to be doing that in partnership with some of our city family members from the Mayor's Office of Community Development. Thank you very much, Director. Good evening, Commissioners, audience. Today, the agency has made roughly a little over $21 million in loans and investments to Fillmore Area A2 businesses over the last several years. What we've come up with is a two-part strategy, one focused on what to do with the proceeds of those loans, roughly, again, $21 million made over a period of time. Our ultimate goal is to take the repayments of those loans and reprogram those dollars back into the A2 community over the next 15 years as they're collected from the respective businesses that we've made loans to. The second part of our strategy is actually to launch what we call the Community Benefits Fund, which is really a grant program targeted toward emerging businesses. As most of you may know, the agency is currently holding about $360,000, which we'll use to award to businesses in the A2, Fillmore, Jass District, roughly, on average, about $15,000 a business. You'll hear a little bit more about that program later today as it is an agenda item for the Commission. In terms of how these funds will be administered, the agency is working in partnership with the Mayor's Office of Community Development to really come up with a strategy to administer new loans made after the project area closes on January 1. Adrienne Ponce, the Director of MLCD, will talk a little bit about that and how we hope to partner to make this a smooth transition and make dollars available for economic development for the next 10 to 15 years in the A2 community. Good afternoon, President Covington and Commissioners. It's a pleasure to see you. First of all, I want to just give you an update on MLCD. As of July 1st, we changed our name to the Mayor's Office of Community Investment, and this is to reflect our broader focus on strategic investment of city and philanthropic dollars in community development. MLCI currently manages three major grant funds totaling over $30 million. It would be HUD, CDBG, that's Community Development Block Grant Funds, Emergency Shelter Grant, and Home Grants, and then MLCJ, Criminal Justice, Juvenile Justice, Crime Prevention Act, and Crime and Delinquency Grants, and the SOMA, Community Stabilization Fund Grants. So our mission is pretty clear-cut. It's to partner with the community and philanthropy to build human, social, and physical capital, especially for low- and moderate-income persons. We support the city's five initiatives that are aimed at improving the condition and lives of the most vulnerable populations in the city. That's communities of opportunity, HOPE SF, violence prevention, transitional age youth, 
and workforce development as it relates to vulnerable populations. Um, MLCI has always been a strong partner with the agency. Um, the Redevelopment Agency has worked with us and we've helped to oversee the workforce development and economic development investments. Um, we continue to support the needs of Western Edition residents through our Community Development Block Grant dollars and ongoing investments to fund criminal justice and crime prevention organizations in the area. And we're actively discussing loan portfolio management options with the agency uh, and will continue to offer our expertise and partner with the agency uh, through this transition process. Thank you very much. questions on that part, but our partner on the um, workforce development side is the Mayor's Office of Development. Uh, Rhonda Simmons, the uh, Director of Workforce Development, is here to talk about uh, the Mayor's Office and the workforce development plans and strategies um, in the A2 um, post-January 09. Um, workforce development, as you know, um, is an area where agency has been heavily invested over the years um, and there's a need to really shore up um, that piece of work. Um, most of our investment has been in the area of construction as it relates to uh, jobs that are being created through um, agency uh, activity. I think what uh, Ms. Simmons is going to be talking about is something that includes that but actually is much broader uh, than just the scope of production uh, jobs. So, Simmons. Good afternoon, commission members. Supervisor Mercurini, redevelopment staff and the public. We've been working for about the past year in conjunction with many city departments, Mayor's Office of Community Development, Redevelopment, Human Service Agency, Supervisor Mercurini's office to sort of rethink what workforce should look like in Western Edition. And what we've been working on is the formation of a neighborhood workforce center, which would offer a set of services for residents. We just actually had a focus group in the Western Edition about two weeks ago at um, London Shop. It was pretty successful. We had about 70 residents to give us some ideas of what they would want to see in terms of workforce. And so we will be incorporating those ideas into the plan. But what we envision is a, a site that offers everything from career resources to hands-on job placement, job readiness services, connection to city college, um, GED preparation, retention services, meaning that if you need help keeping your job around support services, child care, that you'd be able to have access to that in sort of a one-stop shop. We've identified a location for this and we're working with the Board of Soups now on the lease to secure the lease and, and members of the um, Western Edition uh, CAC to, to make sure that that happens. And the change, I think the biggest change around workforce that we hope to see is to broaden out the opportunities for workforce beyond construction to what the labor market looks like now in San Francisco, which is very different. Um, not to exclude construction, but to add to that and to add other opportunities that would be available citywide. It's the approach we've taken in other areas 
and we hope to have that happen in Western Addition. Western Addition is one of the communities that does not have a uh, sort of one-stop workforce center. We've added one in the Western Edition, Chinatown, and we're looking at making the ones in Bayview Hunters um, View along the same um, mission. The fund sources for this as the redevelopment is transitioning out will be multifaceted. It'll be a combination of federal funds. We get fund sources from the Department of Labor, something called the Workforce Investment Act. A portion of those funds will go to support this effort, some general funds, some funds through uh, Human Services Agency, and for the last year, some funds through redevelopment as we work work through transition. And eventually, we'll be working with the Mayor's Office of Community Investment around some community development block grant funds to continue to fund this, as well as uh, philanthropic fund sources. So in a nutshell, our timeline for this is not ideally what I would have liked. I would have liked to have come here and said we're ready to open tomorrow, but I think we're at least 60 days out. So in that interim, I've been working with community folks to figure out what we do for the next few months on the um, both for youth employment and adult employment and working with some of the existing entities and individuals to sort of fill that gap as we work to get this actual physical structure up and going. So I'll stop there. Folks have any questions? So another, I think, real unique um, aspect of our work in the, the A2 is the fact that the agency has been primarily responsible for the entitlement and zoning process um, in the A2 and that actually the A2 plan actually carries within it the the land use and zoning requirements for the for the neighborhood um, underneath the the zoning um, that is set forth in the a2 plan is actually the planning code which is responsible of the department of city planning and so we have been working uh, with planning staff for many months now to uh, figure out a uh, how the entitlement process can go as smoothly as possible during the transition uh, how to figure out um, what to do with the, in some cases, conflicting zoning when you look at what's in the A2 plan versus what's underlying the plan and, and conforming with the code. Um, the planning director, John Ram, is here today to talk about uh, the um, planning department's efforts and uh, agency staff. Um, uh, Tom Evans will also be talking about kind of what the plans are related to this part of the transition. Thank you, Fred. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, John Ram, Planning Director. Um, our role today is really to address the issue of how the transition and entitlements would work um, with the expiration of the redevelopment area. Um, I want to assure you, first of all, that our goal here with the redevelopment agency staff is to make as smooth as possible transition that's almost seamless between the, um, the, the land use regulations that were in place and between the planning regulations. Um, we've been working closely with the redevelopment agency staff on this, and we have committed ourselves to a smooth process. Um, and, um, and in a moment, Tom Evans on your staff will talk a little more detail about that process. Um, but we're, we're certainly here to answer questions as well. Um, in broader terms, the redevelopment plan and the planning code, in terms of the land use entitlements, call for a very similar type of urban environment. 
Um, from a construction perspective, um, the processes will also be very similar. While there may be different, different people reviewing the actual building plans, the processes in themselves will be very similar. And we believe that from a neighborhood perspective, the handover will be very seamless, will, be, um, uh, will not actually create, um, uh, will be not very visible, will have very little effect on the actual on-the-ground development. So our goal here is to make this as seamless as possible. Um, I know you have a very full agenda today. This is, um, we, and I'm happy to turn this over to Dan to tell you about the details. Um, I will, we, we are in the middle of a planning commission meeting right now, but un, unusually we have a large break until 6 o'clock, so your timing was actually perfect for me to be here. Um, Dan Sider on my staff is here to answer any questions from our standpoint as well, and I'm happy to be here for a, a few minutes as well um, to answer any of your questions. Thank you for the opportunity to speak today. Thanks, John. Good evening, Commissioner Covington, Commissioners, and uh, Supervisor McCreamy. Um, Tom Evans, lead planner with the Redevelopment Agency. What I want to do is just quickly outline the efforts that uh, we're undertaking with the planning department to resolve the transition issues regarding land use, um, building entitlements, and uh, project approvals. There are basically three simple categories we've uh, put projects in or land in within the project area. The first are existing projects that are built, things that are there now. And what we need to do is compare the existing A2 plan zoning rules with the planning code rules. Then I also want to discuss a little bit uh, what happens to projects that are currently under review by the commission, either uh, at staff or um, at, in the commission's um, agenda for the next uh, few months. And then finally, want to discuss major projects that we don't know about yet, but what happens if a major project does um, submit and a property owner is interested in pursuing development in the Western Edition um, right now and um, basically a process of early referral to the planning department so they can look into these projects for future entitlement in, in uh, 2009. So just a quick summary, the existing redevelopment plan was adopted in 94. It's had seven amendments um, that have changed the land uses um, since um, uh, up through 2005 and created eight broad land use categories uh, throughout the area. We did a, you know, in looking at a quick review of um, the existing buildings and the parcels in the project area, um, acknowledging that the zoning will change to the planning code in 2009, just want to uh, emphasize that uh, thus the permits at that point in time will be approved by the planning department. The planning code has 16 zoning categories, and this is one of the wonders of um, Microsoft Spellcheck. Um, the inclusionary housing rules of the planning code will apply, not the exclusionary. <laughs> Thank you. So before going into uh, all the land use details, there's two key um, planning efforts that have influenced the Western Edition process. The first uh, is the Market Octavia planning process, which was one of the first Better Neighborhoods programs by um, the planning department. It's been a seven-year effort and recently adopted by the Board of Supervisors. It's covered an area centered on um, Market Octavia and covers the southeastern corner of uh, the Western Edition project area. Additionally, um, the planning department staff are 
currently undergoing a community planning process for the Japan Town Center, um, which includes the uh, former A1 area um, and um, some of the northern portions of the A2. Um, that, that is an active planning process, which has had a, a, a full community process and is currently underway. So outside of those areas, we took a look at the um, planning code and redevelopment plan. This is a graphic of the redevelopment plan eight land use categories. If you could transition. And then here are the land use categories underneath the zoning code. And excluding the areas that are hatched, those are the Japantown areas and the Market Octavia areas, we've actually found that in general the, the land uses match up. The general land uses are consistent, they're predominantly residential uh, with mixed use areas for retail and other commercial. Um, the housing densities that are allowed are similar, even though our rules measure things differently. Uh, the agency uses agency rooms, the planning department uh, counts units. Um, the heights are generally um, in conformance um, with each other. The form controls vary a little bit. The planning department has different types of setback rules than the Western Edition. But by and large, the general land use framework, as um, Director Ram mentioned, um, will remain the same. So that brings us to the 10 or a dozen or so projects that are currently under review by the uh, agency commission. Um, they've scattered throughout the sites and um, most of them are outside of um, the planning areas that I mentioned before. However, two of the agency sites that um, the agency owns and is sponsoring affordable housing on fall within the Market Octavia plan area. So these projects um, represent projects that have been submitted to the agency um, to this date and I expect the commission to um, see their schematic review in 2008. Um, we're looking into an, an interim project entitlement agreement with the planning department that will involve a careful look at the zoning rules, the different uh, differences between the zoning rules on a parcel by parcel basis, and then a cooperative process where agency staff and planning staff will review these projects together. The commission may approve them, um, and in the end, uh, the planning department and the agency will together sign the building permits uh, as those projects go towards construction. Finally is, is the, the unknown. We can never anticipate, but we imagine um, that over the course of the next six months, the projects, the property owners may be interested in um, taking on projects in the, in the area. Um, we've determined that major projects, and defining major projects as anything significant enough to require CEQA review in, a, in EIR or some other traffic study, or a significant amount of community review, cannot be done in a six-month period of time. Um, there's to, the practice is that these usually take over six months and sometimes a year to go from the original proposal to the commission. So we um, have worked out an arrangement to refer these project sponsors to the planning department and begin the review underneath the planning code and then ultimately their consideration will be made by the planning commission um, after the expiration of the redevelopment plan. That concludes my presentation. Thank you. So the the next element and, you know, probably the most significant investment area from uh, the redevelopment uh, agency perspective is in the area of housing. And Deputy Executive Director Olson Lee is going to lead the discussion on uh, this part of the uh, transition. Good afternoon, Commissioners, uh, Supervisor Mercurini. 
My name is Olson Lee, Deputy Executive Director. As the earlier speakers indicated, one of the major contributions was the creation of over 8,400 units of housing. And this was housing that was both constructed as well as rehabilitated. But in this process of the construction of these 8,400 units, the agency also demolished housing. And as part of a process that the agency went through with the blessing of the Board of Supervisors and the mayor, we went through a process to review not only the housing loss within the Western Addition, but throughout the city in the earlier redevelopment activities prior to the state law requirements for one-for-one replacement in urban renewal or redevelopment project areas. So in terms of the project area A2, 3,200 units were lost, and approximately 3,300 units or affordable units were constructed. And so in terms of the A2, there was actually a net affordable units built of 104. Now, throughout the city, there was clearly a loss of net affordable units, and that number is approximately 6,700 units of affordable housing for which the state legislature provided the flexibility through the amendments to the Health and Safety Code to obtain additional tax increment to try to replace those housing units in other parts of the area. The affordable housing in the Western Addition can really be sort of split into two areas, pre- and post-1990. 1989-1990 was really the beginning of the use of tax increment financing for affordable housing, and prior to that time, the development of affordable housing relied on basically HUD funding to be produced. Again, pre-1990, the agency's role in the creation of housing and affordable housing was basically land assembly and disposition to private developers who would then seek HUD financing or other sorts of funding to produce affordable housing. And in addition to that, certain market rate developers produce affordable housing as a part of the larger housing developments that they developed. In post-1989-1990, there was an expanded use of tax increment funds, and the housing developed then was done with agency soft equity, and many of the developers relied on outside sources of financing leveraged together to build affordable housing. And some of the typical developments of the pre-1990 area include developments like Fellowship Manor, Freedom West. Again, I've sort of included the HUD program behind them to sort of indicate how they were funded. Some of the typical ownership developments in the Western Addition that were funded by tax increment include Bell Mews and McAllister Mews, and then additional inclusionary units that were developed, that were privately developed. Some of the more typical rental developments 
using tax increment funding include a variety of things, a variety of developments, including the Golden Gate Apartments, the Kokoro or 1881 Post, as well as the recently opened Parkview Terrace. And then one additional tool that the agency used in the development of affordable housing in the Western Addition was tax-exempt multifamily bonds as the issuer of that type of debt. And the agency used that to create both market rate housing with an inclusionary or required obligation, and that included most notably the Fillmore Center. We have a number of developments that are in progress that will not be completed by January 1, 2009. Among those projects include 1345 Turk Street, which is in sort of the pre-development stage at this point. The developer is in the process of refining the schematics for the project and the financing for the project, and will come back before the agency commission in 2008 for gap financing. Another project that we are currently working on is the Martin Luther King Marcus Garvey Cooperative Apartments, and the agency staff, as well as the developer representing the co-op, are in the midst of trying to put together a rehabilitation program for that development with a combination of additional Section 8 assistance from the federal government, as well as a new loan to significantly rehabilitate that development and maintain its affordability for an extended period of time. This is a project that the commission provided pre-development funding for, and we will be definitely coming back to the commission prior to the end of 2008 for gap financing. Mary Helen Rogers, as part of your commission packet, there is an informational memo about a request for proposals that may be issued for the Mary Helen Rogers Senior community. And also, Central Freeway Parcel G will come before the commission in the very near future for schematic design approval. In addition to those, we have a few more projects. One, the agency staff is working with a community-based organization and Kaiser for the development of replacement units related to an owner participation agreement. The agency staff is also working with the owners of Neomachi Terrace for a comprehensive rehabilitation of that particular development, and the agency will be the issuer of tax-exempt debt for that. And lastly, among the affordable housing developments is Rosa Parks. And as the planning department and Tom mentioned earlier, some projects may not be able to get their entitlements directly from the agency, and this is one of those projects that may end up receiving their entitlements ultimately from the Department of City Planning. But that's an expansion of the affordable senior housing on that site with additional rehabilitation of the existing building. One of the biggest questions people have raised is what happens when the agency goes away as it relates to the affordability requirements, and will the units remain affordable? The pre-1989-1990 developments 
are really encumbered in part individually. There's no sort of, you know, I can't, there's no one answer for them. They're really on a building by building, project by project sort of analysis. But the agency, because it assembled land or it provided entitlements in some manner, has either a land disposition agreement or in the later days it was called a development disposition agreement or an owner participation agreement with those, with that developer. And depending on when those were done, they have a different sort of term related to those agreements. The post-1990 developments have loan and regulatory agreements and primarily land leases. So the majority of those have at the minimum 55 years of affordability and some, their minimum affordability term is 99 years. One of the things that was authorized by the commission in the early 1990s was the preservation program. And this was a program that was funded to assist developers acquire market rate owned or private for-profit owned properties, not only in the Western Addition but throughout the city, and then to recapitalize those. And many of those properties were originally assisted by the agency under those pre-1990 LDAs and OPAs. And through the work of agency staff, the agency was able to then assist these developments remain affordable and also extend the affordability for those developments for, again, at least 55 years. In terms of the for sale units, all units that are currently for sale and affordable will be repurchased and sold again as affordable housing using the agency's current housing ownership program, which is our limited equity program. So as units come up, the agency will exercise its right of first refusal subject to the agency's commission's approval and to acquire these properties and to, again, re-offer them as affordable ownership opportunities. Again, the rental units with mixed financing, they will remain affordable as long as the financing restrictions remain in place. And so for many of the units that were not addressed directly by the preservation program, those are owned primarily by non-profit organizations, and we hope that they will continue to remain affordable based upon the continuation of their HUD contracts. The rental units post-1990, as I said earlier, will remain affordable for an extended period of time, at least a minimum of the 50 or 55 years, and in many cases where the agency has have a land lease for these properties, they will remain affordable for at least 99 years. And that ends my housing presentation. So I think in the spirit of time, we're going to be talking about the SB 2113 amendment and another agenda item, so that's something that we'll reserve for later conversation. The last piece of the transition that we wanted to present before actually going to Supervisor Mercury Remy to talk about some of the legislative action is the Certificate of Preference. 
program. And so, again, I'll ask Executive Director Lee to talk about that program. The slide, again, Olson Lee, Deputy Executive Director. I brought this slide up because, in part, this was a slide that was presented at a hearing held by Supervisor Mercorimi and talked about the status of the Certificate of Preference program a little over a year ago. And it's my pleasure to sort of go through some of the changes in the program since that period of time. The program, as the Commission knows, and this is for the benefit of the listening audience as well as the audience behind me, the program has changed tremendously since those sets of hearings. And the program, the term of the program has been extended. The program eligibility has been extended. There is now financial assistance for Certificate of Preference holders in addition to the preference. There is expanded preferences in terms of the, for the residential Cs. The appeals process is clarified and improved, and there is improved program administration. So I'm just going to run through those items. The term of the program, the program would have expired with the expiration, two years after the expiration of the A2 project area. But the program has now been extended for 17 additional years beyond the expiration of the project area. In terms of eligibility, the original eligibility was based upon the head of household that was modified in 1999 to be persons on the SOR, and it's been further modified to be persons who were not on the SOR but who can demonstrate that they were members of the household at the time of displacement. Prior to the recent commission actions, there were no additional financial assistance related to the Certificate of Preference program. And the commission voted to expand, to create a down payment assistance program of approximately $4 million to be used as down payment assistance with the limited equity program for the agency or any other affordable housing developments or units here in the city. Part of that $4 million loan program was an individual development account program that we hope to also put into place. To talk a little bit about the Home Buyers Assistance Program, I know we're running sort of long on time, but it will be restricted to the A2 certificate holders for an initial five-year period and then open to all other certificate holders. Since the source of funds is subject to CDBG program income, it will be limited to the approximately 96% of median income and will provide a maximum of $100,000 or 50% of the purchase price for each individual unit and will be a silent second with a 45-year term. 
The commission also voted to expand preferences for residential seats for rental and ownership. As a preference program, the program was administered that households got an opportunity to exercise a preference, and if that was exercised, that was the limit of the responsibility of the agency. What the commission voted to do was to expand that, to say that if you were now the category of residential seat, regardless of whether your parent, the residential A holder, exercised or did not exercise their certificate, the residential C holder, who are the other members of the household, would have a right to exercise a certificate once for rental and once for ownership. And this would really greatly expand the number of certificate holders who would be able to take advantage of the affordable housing opportunities. And lastly, the clarification of the appeals process in moving to a third-party arbitration so that people who have concerns about the certificate program will get a disinterested third-party opinion about whether they were eligible for a certificate or not, and then setting up some specific timelines for response. And lastly, the question of program administration. I think a year ago, or say a year ago, we had half a staff person devoted to the certificate of preference program who was working part-time on our ownership resales. We now have one full dedicated staff with another full dedicated staff coming on board to administer the certificate of preference program, in addition to the other staff of the housing division that works on the program. But this will be their primary responsibility in the administration of the program. And that concludes my comments on the certificate of preference program. So finally, the last piece of the transition has to do with the important legislative action that needs to occur at the Board of Supervisors level in order to execute some of the things that we've talked about. And Supervisor Mercorini has been a great partner during the transition planning process and has a lot of great ideas, I think, about moving that. One thing I want to say as a caveat is that I don't know how many of you guys follow basketball, but if you do, you know that the Lakers and the Clippers share the same stadium. And we're kind of the Clippers today. And what we did is we made the mistake of not setting up the table in a way that allowed the supervisor to speak from his own podium. So I want to apologize to Kobe for that mistake. But anyway, Supervisor Mercorini, please, you can talk about the legislative action. Supervisor, I'm told by the Commission Secretary that you can speak from your usual place. I can, but that's okay. I'll go ahead from here. For some reason, it's still locked out. But that's all right. I'll stand with the people. Thank you. First of all, welcome, Honorable Commissioners and distinguished guests. I appreciate this opportunity for us to go through what is a process that has been almost 45 years in the making. We are seeing something that the city and county of San Francisco, frankly, has never seen, witnessed, or experienced before, 
and that is the reign of the redevelopment agency era, come to an end, and so is the experiment of redevelopment and urban renewal in the Fillmore Western Edition Japantown A2-A1 area. I thought it was interesting that earlier a reference was made by Citizen Advisory Committee Chair Reverend Arnold Townsend about an apology being, I think, provided by the city for what has occurred. I think it's fitting that an apology be made, but to me what would be more meaningful with an apology if what is attached with that is greater access to capital, fiscal capital, for the people of the A2 and A1 area. And the reason I say that is that when we reflect on what has occurred over the last 40-plus years in the Western Edition and in the Fillmore Japantown area, it has starved, I think, what was once a very robust and thriving community. And that was more than clear than why I had to push very hard for the first hearing ever in the history of the Redevelopment Agency or here in City Hall in February of 2007 just to make sense out of the Certificate of Preference Program. The fact that nowhere in record that there had been any kind of reconciliation about delivering on the original promise, which I thought was well laid out by Mr. Lee, and I believe that there is strong and faithful intention by the agency to correct its wrongs of the past. The fact is that if we were really to make good on the promise of repopulating or I think even sustaining populations of the African-American population or of the working-class population, then the Certificate of Preference Program is really that most tangible lifeline that we could be accessing and maximizing quite a bit. There is something very telling in the fact that when over a 25-year period that nearly 5,000 certificates were issued to families and yet maybe only at best 20 to 24 percent of those were ever really redeemed shows the failure, quite frankly, of I think the City and County of San Francisco with the Redevelopment Agency, which is a quasi-state institution, which a lot of people still don't understand. You're not necessarily a local government but also quasi-state. We have a lot of catching up to do. When I hear about the statistics that were kept about the workforce efforts that were made by redevelopment to supply jobs on the backs of the Great Development in the Western Edition in the A2 and A1 area and that it provided for 23 percent jobs employment for residents of the Western Edition, 43 percent citywide, the data that we've been able to procure show that there was no career track, that there really was no sort of lifelong trajectory or livability of wages beyond the seasonal employment of construction that showed that there would be any long-term viability and I think retention of people in that community. Subsequent to that, again last year we had to push for, and I'm glad of how the city's rallied around the idea of why the city has to radically reform its workforce laws. 
This is legislation that I'm proud to have authored, and yet with the cooperation of redevelopment and other agencies and the mayor's office, realizing the fact that we've been squandering $50 to $70 million a year towards 10 different agencies within the city government and seeing very little for the fruits of our investment, especially in an area like the Western Addition, in the Fillmore, Japan area, where in the most impoverished or disadvantaged communities, we're not putting our people to work, and we're not giving them the level of skill training so that they're on a career track that I think they should have. Why I think that ties into what may have not worked in the past and how this transitions in terms of some obligation as to where we go from here, this is why I feel like this exercise needs to not mute the outrage that I think is felt over the last 40 years or several generations about what's gone, but that we legislate the kind of outcomes that make it better. And the reason why that I look forward to what those elements are in the legislation, there are aspects and features of those elements that I haven't heard reported yet that I'd like to add to this discussion. For example, I absolutely agree that tax increment, what was slated, needs to remain in the Western Addition, especially for all unfinished projects. The next, there is no discussion whatsoever about market business viability and economic viability in the A2 and A1 area. A study should be placed. There has never been a study for this area. There's no planning department. There's no land use study. There's no economic study to show what is the transition place of what has occurred for the last 40 years and what is to occur maybe for the next 25 years in this particular area. I'd like us not just to talk about the fact that we're trying to redeem or find a system that redeems old certificate of preferences, but there were 883 businesses that were displaced as well during the time of urban renewal. Certificate of preferences were given to those businesses as well. Many of them were black-owned and Japanese-owned businesses at those times. Very few of those were ever redeemed. In terms of market viability of what we've seen over the quarter of the Fillmore, what concerns me is that while there had been some attempt at replenishing, I think, the economic sustainability of the area, it was done with a rash of chain stores and franchises that while at the time may seem like the best idea, but even the most minimum expectations like hiring people from the Western Addition and hiring most of our people from the Western Addition was never satisfied or never fulfilled. And in light of that, I still hearken back to this particular moment that if we want to then replenish mom-and-pop, black-owned, minority-owned businesses, then we should provide a framework that builds towards that place none of yet has been spoken of. The next is that a great patchwork of housing known as flat-roof housing, which was normal for the time of the 1960s and 70s of architecture, that was routine for that era, is something that I think is going to have some blowback in the near future. And what I mean by that is the disrepair of housing, which would either be attached to the housing authority or project subsidized both by the city and county, state feds, and by the redevelopment agency. I'm concerned about the water damage. I'm concerned about the kind of disrepair that's going to occur over the next 10 to 20 or 30 years of all the kind of housing, both mixed-use or any kind of low income, that I think that the city is ill-prepared for in order to anticipate and accommodate, I think, what is going to be a huge, huge fiscal burden of us trying to repair the housing 
before it gets any worse. I do not believe our Department of Building Inspection is prepared, I think, for what is a comprehensive inspection of the stage and status of where this housing is at. And I think we're going to need to be, I think, mindful of what it's going to take for the rehabilitation and reinvestment. And then next, when we talk about, I think, the housing that does exist in the Western Addition area and the A2 area, I'd like us to believe that we can actually set the seeds for maybe some home ownership. There was a good program, and it was one that the feds did, I think, project and market well, which had been abandoned both by the feds as well as by the state and city, and that was cooperative housing. There has been examples of good cooperative housing, such as St. Francis Co-op, and there's been examples of cooperative housing that did not work, but it all at least let working-class families and those who are striving for the middle-class spot to also get their toehold in. I think that if there was some ability to also pave the way for any kind of market study or market viability, that it would be nice to also project some ability for those kind of existing tenant-based housing structures if they would also like to transition into what is a modern form of housing cooperative for either limited equity ownership or a community land trust. This is a level of vision, and this is a level of transition that I would like to see built into this discussion that sort of speaks for and recognizes the pain and suffering and the dashed hopes of the past, and perhaps even with great things that have occurred in the last few years where we see now the Fillmore become a cultural destination, thanks to Rostello's and Sheba and 1300 and Yoshi's and other businesses there, where we see transition in Japantown, where there's a great amount of uncertainty but a great community-driven process to make sure that what becomes of Japantown is the one that the community wants. And this is why I think that the Fillmore and the A2, so that it teaches what is now to become the lessons for the Bayview, that we are, that the A2 is not a harbinger of what is to happen in the Bayview. And that the mistakes that were made, I think, as a laboratory, which I think gone really wrong in the last 40 plus years, is something that we want to make sure that our people in the rest of San Francisco, who is to come under, and I don't mean to say this in a demeaning way, but the governance and the yoke of the redevelopment agency is not repeating the same kind of experience that had occurred in, I think, the era of urban renewal in itself. We don't want that to happen. We only want the best to happen, no matter what is the outcome. But yet I am very, very concerned and apprehensive because of the splintered structural difference in our governance structure, because we don't have the kind of say from this chamber on redevelopment level projects as much as I wish we had. And yet I try to be hopeful. And so that recognizing, I think, that some of the great, you know, sort of things that have occurred lately in the redevelopment area, I still want a citizen-driven process that transitions properly. That means that after January 2009, I think it's important to retain, if the Citizen Advisory Committee elects to do so, retain the Citizen Advisory Committee of the Western Edition of the Fillmore Japantown area. I think we have to have a watchdog agency in place that helps make sure that some of these promises are fulfilled and that what we're doing to pave the way so hopefully other areas of San Francisco do not experience. And lastly, and I know that this has been mentioned before, 
it's not a bad idea to rename Justin Herman Plaza. And I think that in recognition of what had occurred and even what thought was a good idea way back when, considering the consequences and legacy of what we had to live with, I think we're not telling the whole story as to what has occurred in the, I think, history that has led us to this particular point. And even though I think that this is well told in this particular chamber here with a well-attended audience, it's not well understood citywide. And I think it's our responsibility to explain that thoroughly and honestly. Thank you. So, you know, the presentation has run over, and I appreciate the patience of folks who have come today. And so I don't want to spend a whole lot of time summarizing, but I just wanted to run through what some of the next steps are. There are future decisions that the commission needs to make to many of the things that have been presented today, and those are things that will be coming before the commission in the coming months. As the supervisor mentioned, there's a Board of Supervisors legislative action that needs to occur. And there are a number of projects that we are still working on that need to be moved forward, included in that are the Muni substation, the public parking garage, parcel 732B, and the creation, as I said earlier, of the community benefits district in Japantown, and the need to explore a lot of the options with regard to where we go from here with Gene Suttle Plaza. The last thing I want to mention in terms of the next step in the spirit of some of the things that have been mentioned earlier, what has been called for is a historical report that really documents what happened, documents the lessons learned, and puts a pin in what the agency learned and what the implications of those learnings are for the future. And so I just wanted to mention those next steps and end with this list of folks who have participated in the planning process so far. So that concludes the presentation. Again, thank you for your patience, those of you who are here and chomping at the bit to speak. I pass it back to the President of the Commission. Thank you. Thank you all very much for the excellent overview. And I also want to thank the directors of the various agencies who came to present today. It really emphasizes that this is something that is being talked about at the very highest levels of our city and county government. Thank you, Supervisor Mircarimi, for your comments. And I just have one little question before we go to public comment. Were you going to talk about the Muni substation? I was going to, but in the spirit of time I just passed over it. I can if you want me to. Could you please do so? So one of the last and probably most significant pieces of land that the agency still owns is the Muni substation. We went through an RFP process at the tail end of the year in which there were two respondents and neither one of them were taken forward for a positive recommendation for development. We are left in that case with at least three options. There's an option to re-release an RFP. There's an option to reconvey the land back to the city we got it from for them to develop it. And then the option three is for us to develop it as the agency. 
we at the staff level are combing through those options right now in order to bring forward a recommendation to you all within the next two meetings or so of the commission. We are not interested in leaving that unfinished business and very anxious to come up with a solution that works. As you know, one of the requirements when the property was conveyed from the city is that there be some type of art and cultural use. We've also heard loud and clear from the community that there needs to be something that really meets the needs of young people in the Western Addition, so that will be taken into account as we move forward as well. Thank you, Executive Director Blackwell. I see that the last slide is a listing of transition plan stakeholders and participants. Certainly, the commission should be listed there as part of the SFRA team members, and I would especially like to thank my fellow commissioner, London Breed, for participating in a number of meetings concerning the transition. All right, thank you. Madam Secretary, do we have speaker cards on this item? Yes. First speaker is Rosalyn Tonai, followed by Kadeshka Jacob, then Hiroshi Zuko. And again, please limit your remarks to three minutes. Thank you very much. With the National Japanese American Historical Society, I'm also on the board member of the Japantown Task Force. In 1942, nearly 5,000 Japanese Americans were summarily removed from their homes and businesses. Leaders were arrested, and people who had been here since the 1880s in San Francisco were taken away into desolate concentration camps. Many of you know that. In 1983, 40 years later, a special presidential commission, President Carter initiated, called for an investigation of what happened of this egregious mistake. Now, the commission found the cause for this internment was, number one, racial prejudice, number two, failure of political leadership, and number three, wartime hysteria. In 1942, the average age of the Japanese American born in the United States was just 19 years old. And only a few years after that, they were returning from the camps in 1948, only to realize, and perhaps not really to realize for another 10 or 20 years, that they would be similarly evicted from their homes, many of them renters, but also homeowners and businesses. We can tell in the history of redevelopment, many, many people were affected, particularly in the Japanese American community as well. The average age at that time would have been about 40 years old. We can learn the lessons from the past, and we can apply these lessons with redevelopment going forward. And we're actually very pleased and is promising to work with the staff of the redevelopment agency on a very personal level to redress and essentially reverse the errors of the past. And I think I want to suggest that we can, if we look at the average age now of the person that may have been evicted because of redevelopment, we're talking about people that were affected by camps and then again evicted from their homes. They'd be about 80 years old, probably older now. We would like to stress 
to consider the generational difference that has surpassed. And we'd like to have you considered another preference of the grandchildren, perhaps, of the people who have been evicted and affected by this redevelopment process. Thank you very much. Khadija Jacob. Yep. My name is Khadija Jacob. And, okay, the, okay, what I want to say, this current redevelopment agency is about its own agenda and not the original purpose of the agency of the 1960. This agency is giving out a certificate to poor black people, stamp, can purchase property only, and they're on GA, they're on welfare, they're on SSI, SSA. And the only way I can see how people on fixed income can use a certificate to buy homes or other type of property is that redevelopment agency must going to pay for the homes on their own. I'd also like to say that I spend the majority of my life on Fillmore and the Western Edition. I oppose to any changes to the Certificate of Preference Program, affordable housing, and these transition planning projects that have been spoken about tonight that is right over my head. I don't know. I understand nothing these people are talking about. To have two minute, I have two minute family members, and there are thousands of eligible people who are entitled to certificate who haven't received them. And we are constantly fighting with redevelopment in order to get these certificates. This redevelopment do not give a darn about us. The redevelopment agency and these people, as I've already said, oh, they don't have our best interests at heart. What I would like to say, I was doing some research, and it says something that even one person from the public can go ahead and make a move or object to something or oppose to what's happening, and the matter will be set aside. I would like these three matters set aside and just get a better understanding of what's going on. So, okay. But considering finding themselves fighting with the redevelopment agency. Okay, and I think that is just about all I have to say, except for when it comes to the A2 area and the Western Edition. I've done enough research to know the certificate of preference allowed, it was supposed to allow us to come back to our community. I am familiar with Waco. I'm young. I look young. I'm 60 years old. I do have some idea of what was happening in my community. And for me to get up here and for me to go to FEMO, three bid one condominium is going for $950,000 to $2 million. As a child, I have never seen no white person, no Asian person. They ain't live next to me. They ain't live next to me when I was a teenager. They ain't live next to me when I was living in a project. Thank you, Ms. Kinesia. I will repeat my admonition at the top of the meeting. Please do not shout out. Please do not applaud. Thank you. Good evening, Commissioners and Supervisor. My name is Hiroshi Fukuda. 
I was born on 1906, 1909 Bush Street, and that's um, the address of Gunkle Church, and I'm the ward president of Gunkle Church presently. Um, I'm also on the Spantown Stern Committee, also uh, with CSFN. Now, and um, now it, t- it took a World War II to uh, remove the Japanese Americans from Japantown. And um, many years later, it took redevelopment, and we were removed again. Um, so now, after all these years, uh, redevelopment is going away. Redevelopment has done, I think, uh, as mentioned before, many, many bad things. Uh, there are some positive things came out, but at great expense. The, um, the uh, African-American community was destroyed. The Japanese-American community was destroyed. Um, but from that came some positive things, like, well, we have a number of new churches now, new, new uh, buildings. Um, however, at great expense, the uh, congregation has more or less moved away. So uh, uh, they, are, they have a long way to come back. However, um, now at this uh, point when uh, redevelopment is leaving, um, they haven't really completed their work, and some of the things that I see in the future uh, is not great. Um, the Japan Town Center, for example, um, that's going to be demolished, and it's going to be rebuilt, and I'm afraid it's going to be big, 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 and just another condos, market rate buildings. Um, it's not going to be for people that were that lived there before previously. It's just going to be another million-dollar condos, and um, I'm not sure. The, you know, where is the family unit going, going to stay in Japantown? They're going to be building one, you know, these small condos for I don't know who. I mean, they're not here yet, um, and we're going to have Manhattanization along Geary Street. They're talking about building uh, increasing heights from the present. 50 foot to uh, 150 to 200 feet high. I don't think that's a great idea. It's just going to overwhelm uh, the neighborhood. Uh, it's, it's interesting because the focus group on heights in Japantown said that we want to keep heights about the same. Well, we were told later on, well, we need to have more discussion on this. Uh, so you know what that means. That means we're going to get greater heights. Well, um, I think the city needs a general plan that takes all the neighborhoods into consideration. And right now they're doing spots, you know, they're doing district by district. They're not considering the whole city as a whole. The city needs a general plan that's consistent with government code. Thank you. The next speaker is Tony Taylor, followed by Howard Smith. Commissioners, Mr. Macarini, Mr. Blackwell, having met with you yesterday, Mr. Blackwell, I do understand somewhat the direction that you're going as it relates to housing. We did have some conversation as it relates to the business owners who want to come back to this community. Now, as you know, there's no relocation benefit for anyone who has a certificate of preference outside of the Western Edition A2 area. 
Mrs. Leola King. I represent her. She applied for uh, one of the properties was left, the Turk Street property. She wanted to utilize her certificate of preference. So what is the value of that certificate of preference? She was excluded from the process by the redevelopment agency. Uh, to date, we don't quite know why. We'd like an explanation. We'd like to, for you to go on record as to the exact reason for why Ms. Leola King was exempted from that process. We performed a great performer, we thought. We spent a lot of money in doing so. We'd like a little bit better explanation as to what happens to the certificate owner who wants to go back into business or wants to establish a business. There is no inventory left in the Western Edition to do so. So what does that business owner do? Do they apply to the redevelopment agency for another property in another location and ask for a relocation benefit? I don't believe the agency is going to agree to give a certificate holder any kind of relocation benefit to move his or her business outside of the Western Edition. So I'd like the agency now to go on record as to what is their direction. Thank you. Next speaker is Howard Smith, followed by Emmett Powell. Howard Smith. We'll go to Emmett Powell. and supervisor. Uh, I'm here to speak, and I haven't had that, heard that mentioned yet, but I want to mention something about one of the association with uh, Urban Solution uh, here, and who was so helpful in my acquiring the things that I needed when I went to the Fillmore Center. I'm no longer at the Fillmore Center, but in getting there, Urban Solution, Helen Brannan, was such an asset to me. Small business, and I don't know if you're going to consider that tonight or when you will consider uh, Urban Solution situation, but it is so important to small business. I, I've always held my business from 1972 to 19, uh, 2007, did things on my own, but when I needed to get some assistant redevelopment introduced me to Urban Solution. Helen Brown works with me from the beginning to the end. And I'm telling you, if you are considering anything about Urban Solution, it is so important to small business because a lot of us didn't know what to do. And they took me, they crossed all the, dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's, and they're so important for small business. So whatever you do, make sure that Urban Solution as part of the solution. Thank you. Julian Davis, followed by Daniel Landry, then Dario Harper. Julian Davis. Hello. Uh, 
Commissioners, Supervisor, others assembled. I, I mean, I, my heart's broken looking at this um, this process. I mean, here we are. This is 40 years out. If we could go back 40 years in time and look through, uh, you know, a spectroscope or something and, and take a look and uh, see see where we are today. In, in a lot of ways, I feel like this is exactly what. Uh, the city planning process, exactly what the redevelopment agency at that time and through the years had had planned for the Western Edition. Um, and now I look around and I see so many of you folks of color now uh, on this commission, and I see really the ultimate irony that at the very moment where you might have the power to make some kind of reparation uh, for what occurred all those years, over all these years, this uh, area and this uh, uh, process is now ending in a way that uh, really I think almost disempowers you and 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 uh, does not allow uh, the type of uh, action to repair previous harm uh, through this uh, closeout. Um, I really I really think that uh, a really deep effort needs to be made uh, to make reparations and it's it's it, it, there's legislation we're working on with Supervisor Mercurimi, which I want to speak completely in favor of. I hope we get your support on this completely wholeheartedly uh, to for children and grandchildren through throughout the entire mayor's office of housing uh, administered programs, the inclusionary zoning, allowing children and grandchildren of folks who are displaced to access those affordable housing opportunities. Uh, but beyond that, economic development opportunities. Uh, you know, our, our schools, community development at large. There's so much of an investment that needs to be made. Uh, and my worry is that uh, we're focusing on, you know, the bricks and mortar. That's important on, you know, fine, your street lamps and your, and your trees. But there's so much more to a community than that and to the economic basis of a community than that. And when you have this kind of... Uh, you know, not only displacement, but this kind of pulling out the rug from under uh, a community's ability to sustain uh, some kind of economic viability. I'm really asking for uh, your m earnest and strong efforts moving forward uh, to provide the type of uh, support and resources uh, that are really needed to uh, sustain uh, and develop and nourish and f a flourishing community uh, an African-American community, Japanese-American community, whatever it may be, it's time for the city to really take responsibility for, uh, you know, the, the full complicity beyond the redevelopment agency, from the mayor's office to the city to the state to the federal government. It was it was a clear, clearly intentional process of displacement and disempowerment. And that needs to be addressed in a comprehensive and deep way. And I really hope that all of you work on that process uh, with, with all your hearts as we move forward. Thank you. Daniel Landry, followed by Dario Harper, then Raymond Martin. Commission, President, Supervisor Mercury, people who's listening at home, Daniel Landry for the record. Well, I feel like my job is easy now. Reverend Townsend and Julian Davis has just summed up what needs to be done. October 16, 1995, I went all across the United States to the Million Man March in Washington, D.C., a lot of people didn't understand the theme. The theme was atonement and reconciliation. Now, when we look at the Western edition, and we can go, we can go baze and baze or what doesn't happen. But this body and this city and this country has to start admitting to its sins. How can we move to second base when no one want to go to first base? 
The redevelopment agency must apologize, number one. Then number two, atonement consideration for reparations. If you break my car window, I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be upset. But you have to repair the damage. When people commit crimes in this state, in this country, there's a thing called restitution. So this body now has to speak to repairing human beings. I, get, I come before the redevelopment agent and I like to say I like redeveloping people. Because until you redevelop people, how can we consider redeveloping land? How can we consider it about the streets, the pavements, etc., etc.? We owe it to ourselves as San Franciscans. We owe it as people. We owe it to the lies that has been told. Hiroshima and Nagasaki, a bomb was dropped there as well as a bomb dropped in Fillmore. And it was never an apology to the Japanese. So this country is weighing in the balance. And I feel sad if we don't apologize and give reparations because what's going on nationwide and even worldwide is God have now entered into the picture. It's no accident that California is burning up as we speak here. It's no accident that Iowa is underwater. It's no accident that Israel has threatened Iran. It's no accident that young people are losing trust with their parents and parents is going off against their young people. This is the wars and rumors of wars. These are the things that the scripture speaks about, whether it's the Holy Quran, whether it's the Bible, whether you're Jewish and you believe the Torah. Now it's time for us to speak straight words. Now it's time for us to speak from the heart. My mother came here from Meridian, Mississippi back in 1958. And she told me from day one, only thing she could find was cleaning somebody's toilet. So I say to you once again, and I believe and I still have faith because in darkness, there's still light. But again, it starts with apology. It starts with recognizing what we have went wrong. Sometimes I speak passionate. I always say this when I come before the supervisors. I'm not trying to personally attack anyone. Somebody got to say it. Just the way it is. Thank you. Dario Harper. Sorry about that. Um, thank you guys all for listening. I'm here on behalf of the Western Edition community, Elliot Hutch Community Center, and myself as a Western Edition resident, long-time resident. Um, I actually, I'm 36 years old, so I came up during this whole time of redevelopment. Um, I grew up at the Waypack office, um, so I know all the, you know, the Joe Rudolphs and Reverend Townsend and everybody that was around that shaped and built Fillmore that made Capu Radio Station, what it is that, you know, the jazz, all the stuff that makes Fillmore the Harlem of the West. I grew up around those people, and so Fillmore is dear to my heart. Uh, what I want to speak about today is specifically the employment situation, the lack of employment opportunities for young people in the Western Edition area, and um, more specifically to the, the money that was taken from the employment programs within the Western Edition, specifically Elder Hill Hutch. And I understand the political situation and what's going on in the past about the money, and we all know that, so I won't go into that. But it's a new day, and it's a new time. It's summertime. The young people in our neighborhood are fighting each other, can't go out the house, can't leave the neighborhoods that they're in, and there's no opportunity in our neighborhood. Young people walk out their house and see a, a Yoshi's. cost 600 and some odd thousand dollars to live in Yoshi's. That's on Fillmore and Eddy Street, $600,000. We got young people in our community that can't afford to eat. You know, so when they look at the Fillmore Center, which is unaffordable, 
the new Yoshi's complex, which is unaffordable, and the housing that you guys are talking about building, you say 30 percent, 40 percent, 20 percent is going to be low income. Low income does not provide, doesn't help us. We're not low income. We're below low income. And so that, you know, redevelopment is leaving the Western Addition come next year, January next year. And I don't have to repeat what the other people have said, Mr. Landry, and some of the other people that have come up here and said, so I won't. But what I would like to say is you guys have to give us an opportunity. You have to. You know, if you expect the crime rates to go down, if you expect the young people in our, in our communities, not just the Western Addition, but all the whole city, to stop the violence, it's not more police, it's opportunities. And so what I'm asking for is I know that there's a one-stop coming, and I won't go into what a one-stop is. We all know what it is. A one-stop has no connection into the community, none, zero. And so what I'm asking today is for Ellie Hill Hutch, the people that work in employment, have been working in employment, are grounded in the community, and have been born and raised in the community to work as liaisons with the employment apparatus that the city is bringing forth so that we can make sure that the people of the Western Addition, the indigenous population of the Western Addition gets served and has an opportunity to, to be, stay in San Francisco. Thank you for listening. Raymond Martin, followed by Majid Crawford. Hello, everyone. Uh, good evening. and Nice to see everybody here uh, addressing, you know, what has happened over in the Fillmore. I think pretty much everything has is, is, is been addressed that, that I might want, want to talk about. Uh, as uh, community activists uh, in this city, particularly uh, in the Fillmore and the Bayview, where we've been active for a number of years, you know, addressing the problems housing and, and, and employment. Uh, you know, and historically speaking, uh, you know, it, it, it is a, 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 a sad day and, and also a hopeful day. Um, I'm going to keep it simple. Uh, you know, I am uh, grew up a little boy up there on Southern Fillmore. You know, I still got pictures of me back in the you know, early 50s and stuff. I grew up over Jackson Sutter Street. I listened to all the good jazz musicians from all over the world as a little boy up in that apartment up there, even on the Sunday brunches they used to have. Um, but now I think we're at, we're at a point to where, uh, you know, uh, that, was the first, that was the first mention of Ellie Hill Hutt. Uh, I was pretty saddened by the fact that we spent a couple hours in here and then, you know, suddenly Ellie Hill Hutch name came. Uh, it was really sad. I, mean, I think I got my first construction job out of there. Uh, um, you know, having uh, five daughters and, and being chronically unemployed and, and Richard Brown gave me a job, you know what I'm saying, on a construction site. It made a whole difference of, about my daughters and stuff. I was able to put some food on the table, uh, you know, uh, and uh, I want to continue to uh, do that uh, uh, with my great-granddaughters. Thank you. Majid Crawford, followed by Aurelius Walker. Good, e good evening. My name is Howard Smith. I'm actually the, the new executive director at Elihu Hutch. I want to say to the commission, to London Breed, to... Our supervisor, Ross Macarini, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity um, to come before you, as well as to Fred Blackwell, I'm sorry, Fred, who's been working really closely 
with Elihu Hutch in this whole transition period. I think it's interesting how the department's heads come up here and present some PowerPoint presentation to this community and to this board, and they get to leave right afterwards. No one gets to address them. No one gets to ask them questions. I think that's kind of unfair. That's first of all. Second of all, I want to say that in redevelopment um, exit, I think we should, as Reverend Townsend said, sit down and come up with a strategy that um, consists of um, one, an apology. I, I agree with that 100%, as well as a plan for the workforce piece to continue. There's a lot of work still there to be done, and for us to look past it as if it's nothing and to exclude Ella Hill Hutch, I just can't see our community allowing that to happen. But I also want to say this in closing. I want to say to this commission, I want to commend first uh, London Breed, who is a community member over in the Western Edition, and she works diligently and hard when she's not behind the microphone, when the lights are not on, and she's at the grassroots working with our community as well as our community center. And I just, want to, I just want to appreciate you and thank you publicly because I think I believe in giving people their flowers while they yet can still smell them. As well as Fleb Rackwell. He's been over to Ella Hill Hutch Center and um, um, consistently has done um, diligent work over with me and trying to transition into this, uh, transition Ella Hill Hutch into um, the plan with the redevelopment exiting. One more comment I want to say is to Ross, as long as we have uh, Ross Macarini as our supervisor in District 5, I have faith that we're going to turn this whole process around somehow, some way. So that conversation will be had at a later date, but I do want to commend you, Ross, for pounding the pavement. I don't know how many times I could tell you I've lived in the Western Edition all my life, and I haven't had a supervisor pound the pavement like you. So I want to say thank you. All right, thank you, Mr. Commissioner. Majid Crawford, followed by Aurelius Walker, then Leon Luton Collins. Hi, my name is Majid Crawford. I just want to say that, um, you know, it's all, you know, kind of kept it real about how the, re the damage that the redevelopment agency did. And, um, and so I'll just, if y'all really want to undo what's happened, you know, it should reflect in the decisions that y'all make in your, in your agenda. You know, today there's some items that's coming up, but in items in the future, you know, if y'all really want to undo it, it should reflect in it and trying to re-enfranchise the African-American community and those that's been disenfranchised by the redevelopment agency. Thanks. Madam President, Mrs. Coverton, Honorable Commissioners, and Mr. McElhaney, I am Aurelius Walker. I represent tonight the African-American uh, Revitalization Consortium, which is about 15 or 20 organizations in Baby Hunters Point. Also, I represent the Tabernacle Community Development Cooperation, which is a group of large churches in the city that is concerned about what we're here for this afternoon. I want to thank Mr. Blackwell 
for his meticulous and eloquent layout of the achievements and accomplishments of the Redevelopment Agency. Plus, I want to also commend uh, Mr. Uh, Reverend Townsend. If you notice, we're caught between those two uh, developing information that was given, caught between those. One of the things I also recognize that the past is what, we, what is troubling us, the past. What happened in the past, I believe someone gave the number of years around 43 or 45 years at the devastation of, uh, of the Western edition. I believe, though, that uh, with the upcoming development of Baby Hunters Point, where that I live and pastor, uh, is an opportunity for us to correct. And I believe if anybody is going to do that, it is the present commissioner, uh, Mr. Macarini, uh, and Mr. Blackwell, and the, the present commissioner. Because if we get totally hung up in the past, it may be impossible to move to the future. And I recognize the past. Sometimes we have to look at the past and also correct the future. And I think that we use that for correction since we have an opportunity uh, with the redevelopment project uh, in the Baby Hunters Point of the 10,000 to 8,000 uh, homes that will be developed there and businesses, then I think this will be well uh, time spent this afternoon. Last thing I'd like to say, my grandfather came here over 50-some years ago, and he was very successful in the shipyards. And he came back to East Texas, uh, and he bought nine acres of land and built a brand-new house. I made my mind up at that point in time that I was coming to San Francisco. And I have an opportunity to tabernacle looking at building 184 units of housing. I'm involved in that. My own cooperation, care and restoration uh, program in Baby Hunters Point, we're working with the developer now to build another 134 units of housing. I've already completed 20 uh, units of affordable housing, and I never thought a dream that I would be involved uh, in this process that we're talking about this afternoon. Thank you very much. Hopefully something good will come out, and I believe it will. Thank you very much. Leontine Collins, followed by Aganoffer Shafiro. Hello, my name is Leontine Collins, and um, my daughter's not up here yet, but she's four years old. And that's when redevelopment came in when I was four. I remember that man coming to the house. I remember my grandparents, my aunts, them, like, what are we going to do? What's going to happen to us? Where are we going to go? You know, and um, I seen the uh, injustice getting ready to happen because I filed for Buchanan Lane, and I wasn't able to get it because of my income. So they had people that followed me and wanted to watch the process. And so I came and I want to, you know, give my hats off to the commissioners and the people that formed the committee to make it possible for us to have the down payment assistance. And um, another great distrust that I'm, is too, really is the substation and the, the places on Turk Street. When the community spoke, we wanted single-family homes. We didn't want the condominiums that y'all approved of. And um, I find that very unjust because all up and down Fillmore in the Western Edition, there's nothing but condominiums. And I can remember when I was a child, there wasn't no condominiums. There were single-family homes. And they should have been put back the way they were supposed to be put not putting people in cracker, cracker jack boxes. And I will like to see if y'all could go back 
and redo that because there was no single family homes built in the western addition and that project the community wanted single family homes and we felt that y'all should put single family homes there and that can be a good apologize to the western addition um, and also y'all had all these departments here stating they were going to take over when y'all leave Okay, so what they gonna are they gonna hire people in the Western Edition? Are we gonna be able to get trained to to work for those departments? That's what I wanna know. And if possible, could you bring them back for we can question them about that situation? Good afternoon, Madam President, uh, members of the Commission, the Honorable Supervisor. Uh, what I want to bring to your attention so that when you discuss when, in the process of ending this process, this, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the A2 project, and to look back to the, uh, particularly the economic development aspect of policy. As you, some of you know, as early as 1990, the Commission passed a resolution in reference to the unfinished economic agenda of the Western Edition, particularly the Fillmore. That finished economic agenda emphasized the re-empowerment of black people on Fillmore, black businesses, African-American businesses. The initiative of the material and financial resource of this $50 million started coming in and being infused in the process in those years. Over $50 million in financial and material assets were invested to improve the financial and economic position of African Americans on Fillmore, increase their numbers. At the end of the day, one must ask a question, has those objectives have been fulfilled? Has those been, been there as a result? I can tell you that out of that $50 million investment, less than 5 or 6% went to three black people. That include me. Other than that, the rest did not go to benefit African-American businesses or personalities. I can tell you that some of us talk about, in delusional terms, the Jazz Preservation District on Fillmore. Unless we deliberately try to get into clinical delusion, there is no Jazz Preservation District on Fillmore. 95% of the businesses has no relationship to jazz. 95% of the ownership of businesses on Fillmore is actually Korean businesses. In fact, it is a Korean business district appropriately labeling it. These are the realities that we need to face and you need to face to address the economic injustice of the last 10 years. What is pathetic and sad is that the last 10 years since I came, since 1992, eight years we were under a, a, a pro progressive mayor, and now we have another mayor that has administered this area. These are the realities that we have. So what I want to say is that if you really truly want to address these issues, you need to evaluate based on the numbers and the data, and whether or not are you satisfied with the result. And if this is meant to help black people, well, the numbers don't show that. Thank you. Archbishop King, followed by Floyd Trammell.
Good evening. I'm Archbishop Bronzo King of the St. John Will I Am Train African Orthodox Church, Jurisdiction of the West. I, uh, in the brief time that we have, I've been in this, this district for the last 39 years, and there's nowhere on record that I can find or you would be able to find that this agency has been, able, has been requested of me or have done anything for my community that I represent. However, after 39 years of being here, there was a widow that came to my attention who had been terribly abused by this agency. And her being the courageous woman that she is, she asked me to stand with her to see if some justice could be found in and in the charity of her heart to see if she could do something to help the John Coltrane community. Now, when we talk about a jazz preservation district, and as much as I love my brother, when he mentions what's going on in the jazz preservation district, he does not mention the St. John Coltrane African Orthodox Church. However, I'll acknowledge that without you, we might not have been there. And so, and to say what uh, my dear brother just said, is this a jazz preservation district? So I'm standing to also to say, what are we going to do about Mrs. King? Not only did she spend her money, I mean, if that is something that you didn't want to see happen, then you should have held on to it until you had your mind made up about what you wanted to do with it. At least your mind was already made up to play games with folks and not have her spend her money and be further abused in her attempt to help a community that had been neglected. Now, there was a lot of presentation. It wasn't a long story made short, but it might have fell short of really dealing with the problems that we have in uh, the Western Edition and on Fillmore Street in particular. And I also want to state this is not a fight between the Japanese-American community or the African-American community, but we are suffering under the same lash, and we need to come together and see what we can do about that. Um, also, I, I would also ask you to look very seriously at what's happening on Turk Street with the um, Christmas tree lot, which was the first Christmas tree lot we had in that community that was operated by African-American businessman who, from all of my findings, was commended for doing a very good job with it, and I'm requesting that that be supported as something that's taken care of, grandfathered in, or whatever your procedure is, to see that Mr. Evans is given that opportunity. Thank you very much. Madam Chair, Commissioners, Supervisor, Executive Director, Blackwell, my name is Floyd Tremell, and I'm the Executive Director for the West Bay Conference Center. Uh, and one thing I want to make clear that there are many uh, positive community-based organizations that are already operating in the Western Edition. So as you all consider what you're going to do about opening up something new, you should see what is already going on in the community and working with those community-based organizations that are working effectively. There are many persons that have already stood up before you that are operating at a West Bay Conference Center, namely Elio Hutch Job Center. In a few minutes, uh, the uh, Urban Solutions, uh, St. John Coltrane. There are many positive things that are happening 
in the Western Edition. And as you all collaborate, I think you need to look at the positive things that are happening, especially in a place like the West Bay Conference Center, which was not mentioned earlier, uh, along with the references. We are doing very positive work. And I think that as you mentioned persons like Ellie Hill Hutch and the uh, Art and Culture Center, please don't forget about uh, West Bay Conference Center, which is an African-American nonprofit organization located at 1290 Fillmore Street that's been there since 1985 which, by the way, uh, was able to be the person that took care of that empty lot for several years. We managed that lot for you all. And so we had not come to say we need some money for that, but we did that of our own volition. And we would look to sort of collaborate with you all in the future on other things. But what I do want to say is that you should work with those community-based organizations which are working effectively in the Western Edition that are doing positive work instead of trying to reduplicate in, a, in another building. Thank you. Ace Washington, followed by Mario Rogers, then Gloria Burrell. My name is uh, Ace Washington, a longtime community activist, born and raised in the Fillmore. My parents came from Texas, Louisiana. I was born right there in California in Fillmore. First of all, as you may know, my main word is I'm appalled. I am very appalled of uh, the procedures. As they mentioned before, these so-called department heads came in their suits and ties and said what they had to say very briefly, saying something but not saying nothing. Saying something but not nothing. They say anything on how a, trans, a smooth transition is going to happen in the Western Edition. I think the only ones that made any sense was our supervisor, Supervisor Ross. I'd like to give him a nice round of applause. But all these other department heads are saying, I wish I could say something more concrete. And I, we've been meeting here and we've been meeting here. <laughs> meeting on what? I'm really appalled of this procedures. I'm appalled of redevelopment even coming here in, 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 at Silly Hall and then going to have restrictions. Yeah, I wear two hats. I'm with the press and I'm a community activist. The sergeant said I could sit over here, but redevelopment told them to tell me to come over in a box, cracked me up in the box. But that's okay. I'm just appalled that the situation is going on. I also would like to give tribute to uh, Arnold Townsend, Reverend Townsend today. They came up with a wonderful plan. He came up with apology needs to be put with the mayor, a press conference, along with your presidents and your commissioners apologizing. Even though y'all wasn't here back 48 years ago, you just had the tail end of it. But you're the ones that's going to go down the history of what you do here today. Also, reparations. The community need reparations. We need it. Not no, we're, right now we're going to talk about a little old funky 300 and something thousand dollars in a few minutes. <laughs> that's just peanuts. That's peanuts. We talking about reparations. People that's been here years and years and haven't got a dime, but all these developers come in and get 50 million, 100 million, and then they talk about to not exceed. But they come back in three months later and want more money. It's totally ridiculous. Okay, also we need to have a community workshop. Ross, we need you to help sponsor that. We need the West Edition newspaper. We need KPU, And you got CNS. We're going to be there too. 
We need to have our own workshop so we can sit down and tell the world what y'all done did to us and what you need to help us out with. Then the other thing is the unfinished agenda. The unfinished agenda. How the hell you think you're going to go away without taking care of the unfinished agenda? Just like they sued at the beginning, we can sue to make sure that they take care. We people, we can get together. We can do that. And we're going to bring the pack back. You made, we're going to put it back on track. A lot of people don't want it back, but we're coming back. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm down to five seconds. This is Ace in your face, in your ear, trying to make it loud and clear. Mario Rogers, followed by Gloria Burrell, then Asha Bahat. Madam Chairman, Mr. King, London, Ross. No, I, I'm really, my mother's turning over in her grave. And for those who don't know me, my mother's the late Mary Rogers. She's turning over in her grave right now. Because you guys are finna lead this community no better than what you did when you came. It's ridiculous. My mother laid down in front of bulldozers to stop and prevent what y'all are about to do. She literally laid her body down in front of the bulldozers to stop what y'all are about to do. You guys need to step back and take a look at what you're doing. That community is going to the pots. We have killings going on every day. You know, my mother's name, it, it, people don't even remember her, it seems like. You know, sure, you got that, that place right there on Gulf Street or whatever it is that y'all finna build the name after her, but her name needs to raise way higher than that. He's done more for this community than anybody I know. You know, and you guys are, you guys are, you know, you, it's really a slap in her face what you're doing. It really is. I'm really, I really hadn't planned on getting up here and speaking. But you guys need to really think, really seriously think about what you're about to do. Leaving our community like it is. It's not finished. The job is not finished. You guys have a long way to go. Thank you. Gloria Burrell. Hello, my name is Gloria Burrell, and I'm a lifelong Fillmore District resident, and I'm also a small business person. And today I'm here to attest to the good works that Urban Solutions is doing for Fillmore residents. Um, when I was first introduced to Urban Solutions, I was their 100th client. And it was quite a milestone for them, but they were also a milestone for me. They have helped me develop business plans. They have helped me de de develop marketing strategies. And they have also introduced me to other agencies that were able to help me secure monies to keep my business going. Um, I know that there is a, they want to administer the grants for the Fillmore Preservation Project. And I am here to say I believe in the work that they do. And I know that they will do a great job with that. Thank you. Asha Bahat, followed by Randall Evans, then Bobby Webb. Good evening, um, members of the board. You'll have to excuse my voice. I have permanent laryngitis. But um, I was on my way home. And um, I was listening at KPU, and I heard what was going on. My name is Asha Bahati. I was born and raised on Sutter Street. 
born and raised 62 years ago. I've seen Fillmore go from what it was to what it is now. And it's not making any sense to me. I feel like the redevelopment or this group is tearing down Fillmore so there won't be any African Americans here. We can't go buy no chicken here unless we go into Popeyes. We don't have no soul food restaurant. It's been moved. You guys are forcing us to eat sushi, Chinese food, pizza. That's not on our agenda. I'd like to know what you guys planning on doing. I mean, are you slowly trying to move all the black people out of Fillmore? And if that's so, how's it going to be called the Western Edition? Who's going to be here? We got people walking around that didn't even know what Fillmore was. Now all of a sudden everybody's in town. Everybody want to live on Fillmore. I can't understand it. I was born and raised here, and I've never seen so many different nationalities, and I'm not prejudiced, but at one time everybody was scared to come on Fillmore. Okay, you guys have helped build it up some, but don't build it up and move us out. That's not the point. That's not the point. Like I said, I've been here 62 years. I've seen where Fillmore has come from, and I think I see where it's going. It's not going to be a black community anymore. Everybody have a community except the black people. We don't have one. You got Japantown. You got Mission Street. You got Chinatown. Where's the Western Edition? Is that us? I'm like Ace. I'm appalled. I'm appalled at what's happening. You guys not doing it right. You guys don't live in this Half of you don't even live in the city, I bet. You know, but you got to think about the people that's still here, that still can afford to live here. But you guys fix the mess that up. Nobody, blacks aren't going to be able to afford to live in, on, in San Francisco, let alone on Fillmore. Think twice. I think you're making a big mess. And I want to know who's going to be responsible when it all comes down. Thank you. Randall Evans, followed by Bobby Webb, then Cheryl Davis. That's my sister, Asha Bahadi. That's my second mom. And it's also going to be her birthday, July the 14th. So I just want to say ahead of time, happy birthday, my sister. You know, two president, vice president, all you commissioners, especially to the capable listeners, without a question of a doubt, a lot of folks touched on what could and should be here. I think it would be a great tragedy to not first recognize Shirley Weisinger. Okay. Because if you think about some of the people that was back in the day here, Shirley was here. Okay? She was here. All right? And along with Leroy and some of the old-time commissioners that knew the game, the drill, and the, and the deal, those folks came out there in the community and was trying to make a difference. You know what the problem is today, though, young ladies and gentlemen? The problem is, we don't have a voice. This sister sits up here and tells us to be quiet, don't clap, don't shout, won't come to the Western Edition, tell us that um, we're going to um, raid the place. But the bottom line here today, without a question of a doubt, is that we have not a voice. KPU has a contract with the Redevelopment Agency, over $100,000 a year, ladies and gentlemen. And on the opposite Tuesday, they're required to make sure we, the community, have an opportunity under the guidelines of the redevelopment agency to speak for one whole hour about issues that we want to talk about for three minutes. 
Now, you guys can say what you want to say about me, but I guarantee you one thing. Leroy, no. I've been coming up here for 31 years. 31 years. 31 years getting three minutes. Now, can you imagine if I didn't go to jail, I didn't go to Yale, I didn't have to get bail, I ain't in hell, and got a little mail without a smell, I don't have an opportunity to be able to tell everybody in here today that we need to get together as black people and take care of black folks' business on Fillmore in the Western Edition. I got mad love for Ross, and I got mad love for anybody who's going to speak to have something to do with black people's business. See, the only folks going to take care of black folks' business is black people. When you stand up here and tell me that Olsen Lee and people that just got on board with y'all, they may look like this, but if they're not representing black folks' business, that's the first problem. You see? That's the first problem. And they have no illusions at all. In the constitutional rights, ladies and gentlemen, we do have the right to put together a pack. It's called the Project Area Committee. Why do we have the right to do that? Because it can be put together with low-income people. Whom of which that got relocated out of this area? You know, I'm gonna be summing up so you don't have to ring that bell because I can sing a tap tone saying Mr. to that. Okay, Evans, here we go. With, with, uh, I'm rounding it up. Here's what I think should be done without a question of a doubt in a respectful way. Okay, there's too many things Mr. going Evans, on in this room. Mr. Evans, you. there's too many things going on in this room. I said I'm winding it up. No, you there's are out many, of time. There's too many things going on in this room. So what we need to do, everybody, Next is get time, together and have a transitional meeting. Okay. Minutes. Now everybody else, he did this too. But to me, thank you. Can you please call the next speaker? Next speaker is Bobby Webb, followed by Cheryl Davis. Madam President and all the commissioners and Supervisor Macarini, Mr. Leroy King. Um, my name is Bobby Webb, resident of the Fillmore District since I was five years old. I lived at 2647 Bush Street in the projects. A lot of you don't know there were projects there. There were some blue projects there, and my grandmother brought us here from Texas when I was five years old. We were displaced at one time, and um, I've spoken to Mr. Olson Lee about a certificate of preference, and um, he took my information, and I was told that I was not entitled to one. Um, he couldn't find my grandmother's name or something like that. And back in those days, your grandmother might have had four or five names. I don't know what name she went under. She's dead. My older sister's dead. And on and on and on. I'm one of the last left in my family. Raised in the Fillmore, went to Emerson, Dr. Cobbs on California Street, Pacific Heights, Marina Junior High, graduated from Washington High School here in the city. I'm still here. I can't prove to you what my grandmother did, but I cannot get a certificate of preference. My name is on the sidewalk on Fillmore. I'm a musician, president of the Blues and R&B Music Foundation. I produce a blues festival in the Golden Gate Park every year 
for 14 years free. I hustle and I beg and I knock to put that festival on for the city of San Francisco. They bust them in by busloads to see my festival free. And I have problems with that sometimes. The police charges me a, a whole lots of money just because we have beer. Sometimes I can't hardly put the festival on because I can't afford to pay them. But I, I'll leave that alone for right now. But I would like to um, find out how I can get a certificate of preference so that me and my family can live. I have eight kids. Eight kids. And, uh, well, I can go on and on and on and on. But anyway, I think the certificate of preference situation should be worked out. If I'm still here, how did I get here and why am I still here? My grandmother brought me here. I don't know what situation she made with the housing authority or whoever, but we were displaced there, 2647 Bridge Street, and uh, it's a, 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 some kind of a hospital there now. Visidero, Visidero, and um, Bush. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Cheryl Davis. I initially said I wasn't going to say anything tonight, but I just felt like um, there are a couple of things that I did want to say. And let me just preface what I'm going to say by really acknowledging uh, Supervisor Mercurimi, um, Director Fred Blackwell, Commissioners Breed and King, and, because, and I'll acknowledge them initially because I know them and have well, worked with them. But I want to thank them for not taking these meetings and hearings and things of such as personal and not really um, getting offended when people say or do certain things. And I say that to say that I feel like the way that this meeting and the tone that this meeting has taken is an example of what the issues have been with the agency over the years. To have this meeting and have people come and sit and listen to someone talk for nearly two hours before they have the opportunity to speak, and again, not giving the community a voice to kind of come up. I want to thank Mr. Blackwell because he did try to move it along and he did acknowledge that. But I have to say personally, very offended that you would not want people to be emotional after 40-something years, to not be able to get up here and speak freely and to speak with conviction and passion. I think that that's wrong. I think to tell people that they can't applaud or show support for what's being said up here is wrong. And I think that, again, that's an indication of what the problem has been all along, is that people are offended or not prepared to hear what the community has to say. And if that is the way that it's going to continue, it's not going to get any better. Thank you. Next, Annette Alamont. Good evening, Commissioners. I'm here to support Urban Solution. Urban Solution helped me uh, from um, doing my business, business plan to start my business. They've been with me through the last four years in one, whenever I need them to uh, ask for a loan deferral to do any kind of paperwork or community support. They're with me. If there is any grant for uh, to help people uh, like me who start a new business, they should be granted uh, any kind of fund, and we should, I support them 
to do what they are doing right now in the, in the Western edition. Thank you. Those are all the cards I have, Madam President. Thank you very much, Madam Secretary. I would like to thank all of the speakers who took the time to come out and to share their views with us. I will now close public comment and go to my fellow commissioners. Uh, this is a workshop. There is nothing for us to vote on on item A. Um, so I will go to my fellow commissioners if they would like to share some of their thoughts. Uh, Commissioner Singh. Yeah. <clears throat> thank you, Madam President. Uh, first of all, I'd like to thank Honorable uh, Supervisor Ross Mirkrimi for coming and attending our meeting. The second, I'd like to have a couple of questions from Mr. Lee. By the way, representatives from all of the executive directors who spoke earlier, representatives are here in the audience, so if commissioners have questions, please pose them. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Lee, how old this... Uh, the list uh, you uh, gave to us about certificate holder, preference certificate holder? Um, th that the slide in the, uh, the PowerPoint presentation is, is uh, from 2007. So this, the, these are numbers that are before um, our, um, uh, so these are um, about a year old and they are before any of the other changes to the program um, have been implemented at this point. What we're trying to, uh, how are we finding that? Um, the the, um, the process um, has begun to um, go through and um, basically computerize all the um, SOR cards so we can make the, the search uh, easier um, for, um, for the residential certificate A's. Um, and that process has begun in terms of the um, the scanning of those documents and we will have electronic file for those and upon completion of that we will be creating a database um, in which to then um, begin the, the actual search for the individual residential A certificate holders and in that process we will be reaching out to uh, community-based organizations to um, discuss how we would use community-based organizations in the search for the missing certificate A holders as well as the, the current certificate C holders. Um, but that process uh, um, is sort of sequential since we are working on, the, on this uh, scanning project right now. Um, how often we update this list? Um, we will be providing um, at, at the minimum uh, annual updates to the Commission on, the, on our progress and as the Commission requests we could provide uh, more frequent updates. Uh, we have only have 254 active uh, that that was from the um, uh, from the uh, the the uh, slide at the time. Um, since that particular period, um, we've had um, um, a lot of inquiries about the certificate of preference program, and we have additional certificate holders. Uh, we are issuing certificates um, as people inquire about whether they're eligible. Um, uh, Adrian Anderson on our staff reviews the eligibilities. So those numbers are, are probably lower than what the actual numbers are uh, currently. 
But the whole point of the, the research project is to improve um, our record keeping in terms of the number of people for whom we have addresses to uh, identify whether they're deceased or not, and then to um, proceed with the uh, search for the, both the residential C certificate holders um, and uh, to, to, um, to greatly expand the number of uh, certificate holders. Thank you. Commissioner Singh, that just one thing I'd like to add to um, what uh, um, we were saying is that since we have um, brought on staff um, and stepped up our work with some of the community partners, and I'd like to mention the San Francisco Development Corporation as one, um, we have issued uh, probably in the last uh, six to eight months um, more certificates than we had issued in the, in the last five years. Uh, and so the, the rate at which we are now um, um, receiving inquiries and responding to those inquiries it's Thank you. increased uh, exponentially. Thanks. Thank you, Commissioner Singh. Commissioner Breed? Thank you. Um, I just wanted to make a few comments about um, uh, what has happened here today. And I think that um, a lot of people um, are, are confused still about what this transition means. And I, for one, um, have been working diligently on a number of program improvements from the agency standpoint um, because I, for one, am one of those people who can't afford to uh, purchase some of the properties because I don't fit in any of the categories that um, are established. Um, I, for one, have family members who have received certificates and pushed to, um, and this agency has passed a resolution extending it to grandchildren. So I don't know if that wasn't made clear, but we have extended the program to include grandchildren. Um, we have added down payment assistance. We have not removed any monies from Ella Hill Hutch community. We are diligently working with Ella Hill Hutch community to ensure a smooth transition. And um, I'm just a little confused as to um, some of the comments that were made because a lot of the folks who have come to the podium have received not only financial assistance through our revolving loan programs and other services provided by the agency, um, but so much time of many of the commissioners here, including myself, who spends countless hours on phone conversations, meeting with people, making myself available, and one time if I don't return a call, all of a sudden it's on public comment. And my point is, I'm not here to defend redevelopment. I'm a commissioner. It's not who I am. It's what I do. And I serve the city with a lot of pride. And I am from the same community. I grew up in the same conditions. I have the same family members. So, and, and, and some of the commissioners here as well. And for me, I don't take any of the attacks and other things that are said personally because I realize that unfortunately, redevelopment is an institution in the Western Edition that is like a plague that has completely destroyed the community. And now, when it's time for redevelopment to leave, I don't understand why people aren't excited about the fact that they're going to be gone. Because to tell you the truth, I am. Because I don't necessarily believe that at this point, 
that redevelopment can have a significant impact on making the Western Addition better. I think that what has a significant impact is the types of programs that I offer, that Ella Hill Hutch offers, and other organizations that work hard with community members every day. Half the community has been devastated by a lot of the violence. That is not completely redevelopment's fault. That's a, lo a lot of it has to do with the lack of fathers and other people who have not been responsible to their children. So for me, um, I just wanted to make it clear that I am frustrated with the lottery system. I am frustrated um, with the fact that it has been very difficult for African-American businesses to continue in the Western edition. I am frustrated with this whole process of redevelopment. And because I'm frustrated and as a commissioner, I am in the midst of it trying to juggle and deal with these matters along with other commissioners to make things better for the community. But oftentimes, and I'm not saying every time, nothing is ever good enough. And as far as I'm concerned, I am doing the best job that I can, and I will continue to work hard for a lot of people. I'm not saying that I need a pat on the back. Um, I don't need any praise. But I will say that redevelopment is not the sole problem in the Western Edition. It is definitely part of the problem, and I believe that Director Blackwell has been working very hard, going above and beyond to deal with these issues. And again, I have always made myself available to uh, members of the public, but will not continue to do so if I'm continue to be disrespected. And then finally, um, I think that it is really historic that the redevelopment ag agency has not only added grandchildren who weren't even born during the time, um, to the pot of certificate holders, which could increase the number, hopefully, of African Americans that return to San Francisco, but we have included down payment assistance, a large amount of down payments, not enough not to undo the, 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 the extreme injustices of the past, but never, nevertheless, a start. And as far as I'm concerned, it is important that as commissioners and as we move into other areas and as we transition out of the Western Edition, that we continue to be responsible. We cannot be responsible for, to everyone. We cannot please everyone. But I know in my heart of hearts, when I make a decision and I do anything on this commission, it's because I care about the community that I'm from, and I'm going to make sure that whatever decisions I make, I can live with it. If no one else can't, then that's their problem. But I know that when I sleep at night, I can live with the decisions that I make. So I just want to say... In conclusion, that I want to thank everyone for coming out and making their public comment and making their feelings heard. I think that some of the comments I heard were also eye-opening because there were some things that I didn't think about, including um, an apology, which I definitely agree with, um, and some other things that I'm going to take with me and try and figure out ways in which we can implement some of the suggestions that were made from the audience and um, hopefully we will be able to communicate clearly um, based on some of the comments that people made. There were things that people said that were already in existence, and we're hoping, and I'm hoping that with this we can communicate to the public that we um, have made the necessary steps um, in the right direction and will continue to push for that. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other commissioners who would like to speak?
All right, again, I would like to thank staff for um, working so diligently on putting together today's presentation. Um, a number of the staff members who uh, approached the microphone uh, and spoke at the podium, you know, but there are two people who did not speak this evening that I would like to acknowledge, and that would be uh, Gaynell McKern and Andrea Baker for working so hard on this. So thank you. I will uh, ask the secretary to call the next item, please. Thank you, Madam President. The next order of business is item 4B, approving an extension of tax increment authority under the redevelopment plan for the Western Edition A2 redevelopment project to provide affordable housing funding pursuant to section 33333.7, Senate Bill number 2113 and 33333.8 of the Community Redevelopment Law in authorizing transmittal thereof to the Board of Supervisors of the City and County of San Francisco, Western Edition A2 Redevelopment Project Area, Resolution Number 73-2008. Mr. Director. Thank you, Madam Secretary. This uh, item, Item 4B, will be presented by Olson Lee, who's the Deputy Executive Director for Housing. Uh, good evening, Commissioners. Uh, Olson Lee, Deputy Executive Director. Um, the item before you is a, is a plan amendment related to um, SB 2113. And this was a Senate bill that was authored by uh, Senator John Burton and adopted by the California State Legislature in 2000. Um, it allows only San Francisco to finance affordable housing lost prior to 1976 when there was a replacement housing obligation created in the Health and Safety Code, which governs redevelopment agencies. Um, based upon the agency's research, um, approximately 6,700 units were destroyed and not replaced with affordable housing. Um, the, um, the A2 plan, um, as uh, many of speakers have stated, have, expires on January 1, 2009, and the tax increment financing capacity of the redevelopment project area has been reached. What this plan amendment would do would permit the agency to collect tax increment from the project area solely for the purpose of replacing the lost affordable housing anywhere in the city and county of San Francisco and for related administrative purposes. Um, the Certificate of Preference Program participation would be required of all such developments uh, funded with the SB 2113 because, those, because that is the current policy of the redevelopment agency. Um, if this A2 uh, plan amendment is not approved, the agency would lose all uh, future tax increment uh, from, uh, the Western, uh, from the Western Edition area, too. Um, the, um, the agency has previously adopted other um, SB 2113 amendments, um, including um, those for um, um, India Basin, Hunters Point, um, and there are others that I can't, uh, Golden Gateway, um, which has, uh, has funded approximately 700 new units of affordable housing, including some of those affordable housing developments currently in the development process here in the Western Edition. Um, this provides, again, the agency a source of uh, a tax increment that will help jumpstart um, the re um, redevelopment activities in other project, uh, project areas, as well as in um, doing, continuing the work here in the Western Edition. And that ends my presentation. Thanks. Thank you. 
Madam Secretary, do we have any speaker cards on this item? I have no cards, Madam President. All right, thank you. Then I will close public comment. Excuse me. How many people would like to speak? Could you please raise your hands? Okay. Reverend Townsend, please approach the microphone. I will open public comment for these two speakers. Thank you, President Covington, members. You know, we just went through this long hearing, and we cited instances where many of us believe that the agency has preyed upon our community. And now it looks like you're going to be taking money out of our community to spend in other projects, and now tonight you're going to codify it. So we'll still be providing affordable housing in other communities. And as far as I'm concerned, you're leaving in 2009, but you haven't finished. There's a difference between quitting and finishing. There's a difference between ending and finishing. The job is not done, and now you're going to take, and maybe I just don't understand how it works, but now you're going to take tax increment money out of the Western Addition and do it in other, and use it in other areas. I, for one, wish you wouldn't do that. I believe that we have still yet have a lot of affordable housing that needs to be built in the Western Addition, and I think the funds that are generated in the Western Addition ought to be left for the use of the Western Addition. And if it's any way legally possible, I would ask you and implore you not to do that. And once we feel that we have built a significant and necessary number of affordable units, especially for sale affordable units in the Western Addition, then maybe we can help out other areas that are even more affluent than ours. I oppose this resolution. Thank you. Yes. My name is Leontine Collis, and I oppose it to the fullest because I was back there asking the lady, did they say to use it somewhere else? Why would you use some money somewhere else for, number one, when y'all haven't took care of the Western Addition? You took care of the Western Addition by building one-bedroom apartments, two-bedroom apartments. I have three children, really four, but my daughter's a grown adult. But why would you do that when y'all haven't, they haven't even did made three or four-bedroom affordable homes, below-market homes. And we just got past the point that a single parent, which we know that all, most majority of African-American mothers are single parents, couldn't afford that place, which I couldn't afford. I miss it by two ratios. Now, my understanding, if you was going to take that money, why not take that money and put it to something where single parents can afford places to move into in the Western Addition and build more places in the Western Addition, not take the money and put it somewhere else. I don't think that's fair. It's not fair to the people that stay there. It's not fair for the people that was waiting to get places that every time you turned around, there were only one-bedrooms and two-bedrooms being built. No three- or four-bedrooms. I will again close public comment. I have one more card. Randall Evans. The public comment is closed. Did you have his card before? Yes. Before you said what you just said. You just got it. Mr. Evans. Come on now. Why are you going to keep being personal against me? I'm not being personal against you. She has my card. 
Did you just hand in your card? No, I did not. I got cards for every item. You have three minutes. Thank you. I wish you wouldn't take it so personal, Mrs. Clinton. I don't. Wait, is it my turn to talk or yours? Okay. And I'm going to talk specifically about this item. I'm going to ask you, President Compton, to stop taking what I say so personally. This is about compassion and about people's feeling about what's going on in this community. And for you to continue to single me out, I just think it's unfair and it's inappropriate. Okay? Now, if I was sitting there doing that to you, you would have a baby. All right? I think it's important. Now I'm going to stop because I think it's my right for all commissioners to hear instead of being in a huddle. I have the right for that. In your bylaws. Here's commissioners over here talking, and they say they don't even put my stuff on the minutes, and they're talking. Is that fair? Is that respect, though? Are you speaking to the item? I'm asking why do the commissioners start talking when Randall get up to talk? You're not going to put this in the minutes in the first place, and then on top of that, they're sitting in there like they're in a private huddle. So maybe I don't wait till they get through talking, because I don't think that's fair. You only give me three minutes to talk, and then commissioners are in huddles talking. For the listening KPU audience, you need to understand my frustration. You need to understand my compassion, because it's not personal. You only give us three minutes to talk. Then you sit up here and you don't put our language in your minutes. So if someone was to walk away with your information, they don't even know I spoke. So what difference does it make? Public comment is closed yet again. I will go to Commissioner Swig. I'd like to move the item, please. Thank you. There's a motion on the floor to move the item. Commissioner Romero. I second it. Item has been moved and seconded. Commissioner Breed. Um, Director Blackwell, I'd like him to just um, explain specifically what this would mean in terms of um, if we do not approve this item. So there are just a couple of things I want to clarify if it wasn't clear in uh, Director Lee's presentation. One is that um, to vote th this down um, means that the tax increment goes away and goes to the general fund. Um, and so that, that's the, the other option. The other thing I want to make clear for the Commission, though, is that um, what we can do is, to the maximum extent feasible, um, earmark the tax increment that comes from uh, the Western Edition for the Western Edition. I want to make clear, however, a couple of things. One is that the development opportunities in the Western Edition are, um, you know, not abundant right now. So there's not a whole lot of opportunities for new housing investment. And I, the other thing I want to reiterate is that there are two pieces to this. One is kind of where housing gets developed, and then the other piece of it is who benefits. And from the who benefits perspective, uh, the changes to the Certificate of Preference Program make it highly likely that folks from the Western Edition will be able to benefit from uh, additional affordable housing investment regardless of where it is in the city. Mr. Blackwell, um, do you think that um, since the projects uh, for affordable housing, um, are, since they are already going to receive citywide tax increment funding to be billed, would this um, new development uh, in terms of making it available as, in the best case possible to the Western Edition be redundant? Um, 
It would be somewhat redundant because the Western Addition community as a neighborhood already has access to the citywide housing fund. And so there are already project areas that we are drawing from and contributing to the citywide fund that we could invest in the Western Addition as well. So there is an element of redundancy. Okay, thank you. We have a motion and a second. Are we prepared to vote? All right. All commissioners in favor? The motion is presented. Please signify by saying aye. Aye. Any opposed? Any abstentions? The motion carries. Madam Secretary? The next order of business is item 4C. This is the substitute resolution. Authorizing a Fillmore Jazz Preservation District Community Benefits Fund grant program for the issuance of single grants in an amount not to exceed $15,000 for a total aggregate amount not to exceed $360,000. Western Addition Redevelopment Project Area A2. Mr. Director? Thank you, Madam Secretary. The presentation of item 4C will be made by Gaynell Armstrong McCurran, who is the Western Addition Project Manager. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Gaynell Armstrong McCurran. I'm the Project Manager for the Western Addition. Tonight, we're asking you to consider a grant program for the Fillmore Jazz Preservation District. At an earlier meeting, Commissioner Bree directed staff to develop recommendations on the use of community benefits funds in the Western Addition budget. As a result of that request, our directive, a committee was formed consisting of two agency commissions and agency staff. The committee is proposing a grant program to expand business opportunities in the Western Addition with the objective of providing startup or expansion capital in the form of micro-grants not to exceed $15,000 to residents of the Western Addition who have a non-profit, a for-profit, or who are considering starting up a business. That will benefit the Jazz District. Each organization or proposed business must be able to show how the proposed activity will benefit the district. This grant program is intended to help to create new economic activities and jobs. And as I mentioned earlier, each grant will not exceed $15,000 and will require, as a condition of approval, attendance at various workshops designed to assist the applicants with the basis of running a successful business. At a workshop last month, on the 16th of June actually, the commission directed staff to make several changes to the grant document that it presented at that workshop. One of the changes was under the eligibility criteria for grant applicants, and that request was that only Western Addition residents and businesses be eligible for the grants. The other request was under the grant cycles. The commission requested that there be two cycles instead of one, so we are asking that one cycle is in December and that the other is prior to the summer of 2009. Under the application process, a completed application is comprised of the following. A completed grant application, a business plan that is anywhere from two to three pages at a minimum, that all appropriate licenses and permits to operate a business 
are in place and attendance at no less than three business workshops. Under the funds management and the commission requested that there not be a phased release of funds. So all funds will be paid to the grantee upon submittal of paid invoices for eligible uses or if the invoices are unpaid, they will be submitted to the consultant who will ensure that all appropriate documentation is in place and submit to the agency for payment. Checks for unpaid invoices will be made out to both the vendor and the grantee. All legal safeguards, conditions, and exclusions have been incorporated into the program documents by the agency attorney. A grant agreement between the agency and the grantee has been developed by the agency attorney and the agency's prevailing wage criteria has been added and will apply. There will be a staff that's suggesting that there be a grant selection committee. So we, the agency staff, will return at a later date for approval of a grant selection committee and the criteria for selecting that committee in addition to approval of a personal services contract with a technical assistance agency to manage, administer the program. That concludes my presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Excuse me. Madam Secretary, do you have cards for this item? Yes, Madam President. The first speaker is Ajit Crawford, followed by Randall Evans, then Andre Rogers, and Ace Washington. Before you start my time, I'd like to maybe use this. You have three minutes for everything. Okay, but I just want to make sure it works before you start the time. Is that okay? I'm sorry. You want to make sure? I just want to make sure everything's, I could just, okay. Well, can you just start my time over because I just want to, I didn't know how to use this, so I didn't want to use my time on trying to figure out how to use it, but I see how it works now. Okay. Start his time. Thank you. Thanks a lot. No, start it over in three minutes. It's still clicking. Start talking. She'll correct it. Go. Okay. Well, I just want to first apologize for not making it to the workshop last week. I mean, last time. I actually didn't get a notice in the mail, and I didn't find out about it until like a day before, and I was under the weather, so I wasn't able to make any preparations. But this Community Benefits Fund is a perfect opportunity, a small but perfect opportunity, and I'm going to quote London Breed, to help undo the extreme injustices that took place in this community. I read through the proposal, and actually I liked a lot of it. You know, the details was there, and it was a pretty good proposal, but unfortunately the most critical element was not included in that. And so everyone should have something that was passed around. And the first page is what I recommend the changes to be added. The second page is just a proposal that we submitted a while back that's irrelevant now. But I would like to the Community Benefits Fund grant program, and I only could cover to the Objective and Community Benefit Grant Program section, to the Applicant Eligibility section, to be added to that section, and I'm going to read it off. The purpose of this grant should also include expanding business and employment opportunities for communities historically disenfranchised by the Redevelopment Agency. And the second point is business and employment opportunities that reduce income disparities that exist 
in the A2 area, particularly in government housing projects. So I feel like by adding those two things, then we'll be kind of keeping true to what was being said in this meeting about recognizing what took place and about trying to undo the damage. Because I feel like for it to be a fair and equitable process, you know, we've got to look at those who've been in line the longest. So I ask that those things be added. Um, the rationale for that, for, us, for the housing project one in particular, is that when, when, when the redevelopment bulldozed these communities, the people that were bulldozed, they were placed in housing projects. And, you know, they were highly dense housing projects and that went up to kind of accommodate all the people. And, um, and like Ross mentioned, you know, there was no career track or long-term viability. You know, there was a rash of chain stores. And, and in, in not creating the economic development opportunities in those housing projects in the 60s, when we did create the housing, the people couldn't afford to live in there. And then finally, with the Fillmore Center, since they were fine, it really makes sense because this is, this is a proposal by the redevelopment agency. Can I have the on screen? That was done by the redevelopment agency. And, um, it, you know, it's, it's written by the redevelopment agency. It has the African symbol on it about the Fillmore Center. And it says in there, you know, that it's a historic identification as a focal point for the black community in the Bay Area. And then this article here talks about the, the Fillmore being dormant. So the fact that we left that area dormant for so long, it really destroyed the economic potential of this community. So I ask that we add these things to the, um, to the proposal. Thank you. Randall Evans. First of all, I want to make sure that Mr. Blackwell know without a question or a doubt that the majority of the folks in this community appreciate and respect his efforts and everything that he tries to do. Because at least one thing I can honestly say about Mr. Blackwell, no matter what time of the day it is or what day it is, he will not only return your phone calls, but as an executive director, he comes out to that community and he meets with us and he stays straight and true to the game. And for that, I want to thank you. I mean it from the heart. But I had a meeting with the general manager of the Fillmore Center, Steve Borak and Mr. Hines, and they seemed to think that if Mr. Morales is going to give it to you straight, the 11th Amendment, the way I see it reads, is plain, simple, to the point. But it definitely has some type of input of an understanding through the Fillmore Center people and the community. But you guys, as commissioners, and if London Bree is leading this pack, then I will say to London Bree, we invited her to a meeting. We tried to get an opportunity to sit down and talk to her about some of the things that have to do with a pre-transitional mission statement that included the 312, and it seemed like the only thing she wanted to do was leave. So she left. Now, if that means that this lady, this great commissioner, whom is supposed to be a business person to me and friend, if this is how you do business, then I stand here to agree to disagree with you, Mrs. London Bree, At on this particular the issue. Okay? Of this the bottom hearing, line, I that ask I'm, that there be no personal attacks. Who's attacking anybody? Where is you getting from attacking with my minutes on this clock? Yeah, you are attacking me right now, Commissioner Company, and I'm getting tired you, of you doing that to me. I am and you can't do nothing about you me talking to my 
You cannot impugn the integrity of Commissioner Reed. I'm talking about disagreeing and agreeing. You're trying to put something in my mouth that I'm not doing, little lady, and you're taking up my time. And that's against what's going on up here. Now, do I get to start my time over? Because right now, I'm not, I haven't been able to communicate. Remember that the KPU listeners are listening. And you sound like you are attacking me. Move on, okay? or so, I will have your mic silenced. Take the mic and silence in it. Do what you want to do with that mic. Next speaker is Andre Rogers. Mr. Evans, please have a seat. I'm sitting down, then you do likewise. Who's the next person to speak, Madam Secretary? Please escort him from the chamber. Thank you. loudly. We talked to the few of my center people. And, uh, I want to know if there was any input from this. Was there any input on this amendment C from uh, with the few of my center people? Because there's supposed to be some community input. As to this amendment, Hello? Sir, it's not a time for us to have a discussion. If you have some statements that you would like to give okay, us, please well, do so. I think we should pass on this on this amendment here till we can have some community input. That's my statement. Thank you. Are there any other members of the public? Oh, sorry. First of all, I am seriously appalled uh, in Commissioner President. Uh, I, I, even though I don't agree with everything Randall says, I think that was really out of line for even interrupting him. He did not attack anyone. So I'm going to follow through it. If I'm attacking someone, you might as well give me the same treatment. First of all, I appreciate, uh, first of all, let me give thanks to uh, Fred Blackwell. He came out to our community. He had uh, the respect to come out to our community and answer questions about this whole situation on the uh, 8th, and I want to thank you very much, Fred Blackwell, and you'll be able to see some of that on television this Friday on the Ace in Your Face show. But let me just go on and say here, and I respect Commissioner uh, Breed for putting together, first of all, with the, uh, the, the grant so we don't have to pay the money back. What I'm totally up upset about is no community participation where you have two commissioners that take it out of our hands of the, com of the community and y'all put y'all on a committee together and put y'all own twist on it and then you try to present it to the community without having community participation. The other thing is Fillmore Center is very upset. Steve Boak just flew in and because of the 11th Amendment, I don't know if y'all even read the 11th Amendment. It's document 150, 2004. If you read it, you would see that number one, you got to have community participation. You got to have Fillmore Center participation, which they was not involved. 
From my understanding, this is commissioners which y'all put together in y'all committee that you're putting together. Well, you got to push it. I think this, this item needs to be put back into the community and have a workshop with the community. First of all, here you're, your staff trying to pull a fastball on us again, trying to put in here. I heard y'all didn't mention nothing about what you, what you plan on was doing, having uh, Renaissance uh, be the seers uh, over this money. How in the hell y'all going to do something like that when you have Urban Solution worked in our community for years? That goes to show you how your staff and whoever is making the decision have no input from the community. Here's decade after decade after year, you still do the same thing. The same thing. You think that you're higher than D, that you can pull something off which you don't like and try to twist it around to, to benefit for whatever you want to do. I commend Commissioner Breed for making it a grant. We're just taking from there, put it back out into the community. Don't try to bring in other people with the staff that they, just because they couldn't negotiate with Urban Solution. Well, that's two-faced it. What are y'all doing? Now, I advise this commission and the public to get a document, resolution number 150-204, and read through it. Read through it. Because what Redevelopment Agency and their staff and commission are trying to do, it doesn't align to what's going on here. And I, I know you got some legal advice from your, your, your legal court people, but you need to look at it. If you read through here, you will say that, number one, the CAC should be involved, the community, and Fillmore Center. I think you need to pull this off, bring it back out to the community, and let's come back at it and do it together. Okay? Thank you very much. Last speaker is Eris Edgerly. Good evening, Commissioners. Uh, you know, a few years ago, I sat down with Reggie, as you've seen him in the video, and I talked to him about the disenfranchised businesses, and he told me about his certificate that he had and how he was displaced a, a couple of times. You know, um, you know, as a little boy, I didn't know that up there on Ellis Street, when my aunt worked for redevelopment, I didn't know exactly who you guys were. You know, it took me a couple of years later, a few years later, to really understand what you guys have done, and you can really see it in that video the understanding of what you guys really did in the Fillmore. You know, the promise and everything that has came place that you guys said these certificates will be valid. Um, all these are elders now, and I'm sure they don't want to reopen up no business. In the same way that you guys done a certificate program for the housing to allow the grandchildren or the children, I think you need to reinvent that for also the economic development for the businesses. You know, we've had several meetings uh, in the community, the last meeting that I thought we had was supposed to be with the redevelopment agency and your lawyer was supposed to come out and we were supposed to deal with this. Now, when we got to the meeting, uh, that didn't happen. The CAC didn't show up. We had a meeting at the police station at the C with the CAC. Uh, they said the redevelopment agency lawyer would be out there and the CAC would be out there to have one last meeting about this 312 since we found out that it was 90 more thousand added to it from the interest that never happened. We haven't had one last meeting. And then uh, we've had talks with Urban Solutions. Now, I don't know how it went up to 115000 on their uh, proposal, but I spoke to Helen myself on behalf of the community. We had numerous conversations, and I know that she was working hard not to make it that high. She said that she was willing to take it on for free if she could, but we know they have to take some type of uh, monies to do what they need to do. But I don't know how it got up there, and I don't know how you got, how you got Renaissance. They don't know nobody in the Fillmore. How are they going to do outreach? 
what are they going to do, send us some flyers? Or, you know, I mean, there's still some questions that need to be answered. I don't know if you have a full proposal yet, a contract, whereas who gets the money in the Western Edition? Is it still going out to Renaissance? Are they going to put it out for everybody in the city, or is it dedicated to the Western Edition? You know, I just want to know if there's a contract yet, and, you know, do we have a chance to look over it? I have one more card, Madam President. Erica Green. Thank you. I will... Could you tell the, could you say the name again, please? Erica Green. Thank you. Good evening. Um, I'm a consultant um, with Urban Solutions. Um, first, let me address the commissioners and the executive director of redevelopment. Um, speaking to the item um, for the proposal that I believe London Breed um, has expedited, I just want to say I'm in support of it, again, as a consultant with Urban Solutions and also a member of the community and a small business owner. Um, I've been at several CAC meetings. I've been in meetings with people from the community. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, this is the first time this item is actually going to move forward. I don't know how many more meetings we need to have. I don't know how many more discussions we need to have. I think that um, maybe a few of the logistics that um, Gaynell spoke of today that needed to be amended um, will be taken into consideration. But otherwise, I believe it's time for us to receive this money that has been sitting there, and thank God for the interest. But it's time for us to move forward. Thank you. I have no more cards, Madam President. Thank you. I will close public comment and go to my fellow commissioners, beginning with Commissioner Breed. Thank you, President Covington. Um, I just wanted to start off by saying that um, when I first started on the commission, um, one of the things that I had asked that we do was to um, make a recommendation. We made a recommendation to send um, this item to the CAC and had anticipated a recommendation from the CAC as to how we would distribute these particular funds. And unfortunately, um, it's been three years, and we're upon a deadline uh, with the Western Edition. And my biggest concern was that these monies would not um, be given to the community in the way that um, would best serve the community. Um, and so with that, um, there's a couple of things that I'd like to do. Um, in the future item, I'm going to ask that we um, not vote to support the um, a future item, but in this particular case, um, in this particular item, the executive director has the discretion to work with an entity, um, if we approve this item, um, has the discretion to work with the entity to distribute these particular funds, and I think that we should leave it at that. Um, and I do know that um, there has been talks with Urban Solutions, and my experience has been with Urban Solutions, and I know that there's been some, um, you know, expense issues and other things, but I do think that, um, you know, we could probably work a situation like that out, but I think that it should be uh, left up to the executive director. So I'd like to um, also say that um, in, in developing this particular plan, 
um, some of the things that I thought about were um, comments that I've received from um, friends that I that own friends and family members who own businesses, and also people who have tried to open up businesses on the Fillmore but couldn't open up businesses. And they talked about grant opportunities, which is why I thought, along with uh, Commissioner, I mean President Covington, that grants would be a better way. Um, and in that, one of the things that I thought that would be better would be the amount. Um, I think. $15,000 is a great amount, but if you're really trying to start a business, um, you know, there are a lot of other areas that you could probably get monies from, but I think in order to increase the businesses and serve the public's best interests as it relates to uh, the Jazz District, that I am going to ask that we amend um, the, the resolution to uh, go from $15,000 to $25,000 and that we allow the executive director um, to and, and staff to work out um, the details as the um, distributor or the organization that would distribute the funds and work with the community to distribute the funds. And I would encourage the executive director to um, work with an organization that has the relationship with the community. And um, I'd also add that um, there have been some good recommendations as it relates to um, suggestions for this particular um, grant program, and I would ask that the executive director take into consideration some of the community uh, recommendations in terms of members of the committee and other things, um, as long as it doesn't uh, change the essence of um, this particular item overall. So I would move that with a uh, recommendation to amend the amount um, from $15,000 to $25,000. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Swig. Um, President Cummington, I just would like a, uh, before I second the, the, to move the item, I'd like a clarification on exactly what we're moving here, uh, just for the audience, for the clarification of myself and for the audience. In our uh, in our commission packets, we have a resolution, and then uh, subsequently we were handed a resolution, uh, substitute resolution. And, and the, the, the difference in the two have to do with uh, letter eight, I mean number eight, um, which the original resolution <clears throat> authorizes the execution of a personal services contract with the Renaissance Entrepreneurship Center, where the substitute uh, suggests that it will authorize the execution of a personal services contract with a consultant to provide outreach. So one specifies specifically Renaissance, and the substitute resolution uh, leaves it up to the executive director or to staff, I'm assuming. So I want to make it clear that we are voting on the substitute resolution as opposed to the one that specifies Renaissance. Is that it, true? Yes. Um, Commissioner Breed, would you please state your motion? <coughs> okay. Um, my motion is to approve the resolution, the substitute resolution, and amend the amount of not to exceed $15,000 uh, to $25,000. Thank you. Do you have further questions, Commissioner uh, Yes, a couple, uh, couple more points, please. I just want to uh, support 
Commissioner Breed's recommendation to amend it to $25,000 because I think we will set participants up for more success based on those specific thoughts that Commissioner Breed had. Furthermore, we were handed and then verbally read through public comment a recommendation to add some language to the seventh bullet point. And I would, based on what we've heard here tonight and what we heard in the first three hours of conversation, based on the pain and suffering that has clearly occurred in the Western Edition over the last 40 years, I really think that we should add the language as recommended from public comment to this resolution because it is heartfelt, it goes to the point of what we're trying to achieve here, and doesn't change the resolution significantly but really provides some great underpinning in its spirit. So I would like to, if you would like me to read that language for the record, I'd like to have this added to bullet point number seven. There are two paragraphs as follows. First is, purpose of the grant should also include expanding business and employment opportunities for communities historically disenfranchised by the redevelopment agency, semicolon, and second paragraph, business and employment opportunities that reduce the income disparities that exist in the A2 area, particularly in government housing complexes. So with those additions in the support of Commissioner Breed, I would second the substitute resolution. Thank you. Thank you. Are there other commissioners who would like to speak on this item? A friendly amendment to the amendment. I would like to propose that we make sure that nonprofit organizations are also included in there. You stated residents and businesses, but the grant program is established for nonprofits as well. I agree. I think that's a good point. Thank you. Thank you. So we have a motion on the floor. We have a second. All in favor, please signify by saying aye. Aye. Any opposed? Any abstentions? The motion carries. Thank you. The next order of business is item 4D, authorizing a personal services contract with Renaissance Entrepreneurship Center, a California nonprofit public benefit corporation, in an amount not to exceed $90,000 to provide outreach, workshop training, and technical assistance related to the Fillmore Jazz Preservation District Community Benefits Fund Program, fund, excuse me, fund grant program. Resolution number 75-2008. Mr. Director. Madam Secretary, President of the Commission, I think that the last action on the last item kind of nullifies this. I move the table. Point of clarification. I think that since we just voted on the motion presented by Commissioner Breed that left the ultimate decision for the consultant in the hands of the executive director that this particular item is basically null and void at this point. Are all in agreement with that? President Covington? Yes. General Counsel. I believe because it was on the agenda as a noticed item that you should call it as you have done. If there's any public comment, you should hear it. If there's a motion to table, that would dispose of it. You need to 
provide the public the opportunity to comment. Thank you. Do you have any cards on this? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Please call them. First speaker is Majeed Crawford, followed by Helen Branham, Erica Green, and then Ace Washington. Okay, thank you. Helen Branham. All right, thank you. She waves. Erica Green. Again, I don't mean to not understand the process, but I just wanted to speak to the item. Again, as a resident of the Western Addition community, and I studied urban development at the University of California, Berkeley, and my goal right now is to help foster economic development in our community. And as a consultant with Urban Solutions, I would feel honored to be a part of this project. And I want to publicly apologize for some comments and issues that may have been presented from Urban Solutions that may not reflect the voice of all of us. And again, I would feel honored to be a part of servicing this project. Ace Washington. Well, I'm Ace Washington. I'm really concerned and a little confused about the process of what's going on here today. In my words, I'm appalled again. Here, you got a clear picture of how the redevelopment agency and their staff was going to swindle our community if people like myself and others hadn't got up here and said anything. And you commissioners get up here and just most of you hadn't said anything, but you guys got to get real with this thing here. I mean, we're talking about the livelihood of not only my generation, but the generations to come of what you have done to our community. And you're still doing it in the last six months of your existence in the Western Addition. I'm not going to go and let it be untold that, number one, your staff or whomever was going to recommend an agency from outside our community, number one. And then I'm a little confused with little sister Erica, and I appreciate what she's doing. And she works with that agency, and still and all, I didn't understand what her saying was about confusion within their agency. It was clearly stated at a meeting with Fred Blackwell. And if it hadn't been brought up at that meeting of the community, you guys was going to pass this. You don't have no history of it, but you was going to do like you normally do, pass. I agree. And then all of a sudden, when you have opposition and community people come up here, we get totally disrespected. Now, I ain't going to sit up here and try to put icing on what Randall has said here, but number one, if people like him, myself, and others don't ever come up here, community, just think what would happen. It would be a rubber stamp for our community, for our generation. I don't agree with everything Randall says, but doggone it, you guys got to understand, after you are gone, our community, our families are still going to 
we're going to get what y'all didn't do, but redevelopment has done to us. In closing, I would like to say this, that I'm very disappointed. I'm disappointed in what I see up here, what's going down here at Silly Hall. I'm glad I was able to be here to document everything, every single spokesperson, and to take pictures of everyone. And you will see what we are going to do in community CNS is to bring forward what goes down and what went down in the year 2000. What is this? Eight? And because it's almost confusing sometimes you get up here at all these meetings and have to go through all this three minute thing. I got about 18 seconds. Let me just say this that you're going to hear some, some, some talk, even though you passed this. Fillmore Center, they're not happy what went down here. They were excluded, and God knows I ain't supportive of this Fillmore Center. But that's our only hope to let you know that this needs to be brought back to the community. I have no more cards, Madam President. Thank you. I'll close public comment and go to Commissioner Breed. Make a motion to table this item. Thank you. Is there a second? Second from Commissioner Romero. Should we not be, I'm asking uh, Jim Morales, should we not be moving this item and if we don't choose to pass this item then we can vote no as opposed to tabling it? A motion to table which is not debatable, uh, it serves the same purpose. Thank you very much. Thanks for the clarification. Thank you. All commissioners in favor, please signify by saying aye. Any opposed? Any abstentions? The motion carries. The next order of business is item five, matters not appearing on the agenda, of which there are none. The next order of business is item six, persons wishing to address the members on non-agenda but agency-related matters. Add cards, Madam President. I had three, six, I got nine minutes of this whole, what, five hours, and I'm going to use it to my ability for my community. First of all, first of all, let me just make a point clear that it wasn't because of any of you commissioners or your staff recommended a meeting of this magnitude. Some might get up here and say, oh, uh, because of my hard work, we, no, it wasn't because of your hard work, it was the community. It was myself. And I got it on record that I came before your commission and suggested that you bring a commissioner's meeting to the Western Edition. It was myself that said that. And then you put together uh, at your um, retreat to come to the Western Edition. That's fine. Then you were supposed to be in the community and you changed your mind. That's fine. But I want our community to know and our generations to come, this is what we have to go through here in the wild, wild west after redevelopment has come here since 1948 and did what they did. I'm looking for that day when you guys put in writing and come before our community, in our community, and apologize uh, with, the, with your letter, whatever you're going to put together, with the mayor. And you know what? I'm not blaming none of y'all because you wasn't even around back in 1948 when the master plan was put together. And it was a master plan. I don't think they anticipated our African-American community to be around this long. I bet they figured that, hey, with the blight and area and the bulldozer, we get rid of them and we won't hear from us no more. But God has, God has uh, ways of working things around. 
And even at the end of the day, justice, I think, will serve its best. Now, the structure where redevelopment has done, of course, we've got big buildings. The blight area is gone. And you may know because of the testimonies that there aren't any businesses that benefit our community in the Western Edition. It's a crying. Sometimes I go there with tears in my eyes from Gary Street. And I'm not prejudiced, but you see all the Asian businesses. You see all of the franchise businesses. You see all the businesses but us. Thank God we got 1,300 and uh, Fillmore Heritage, Yoshi's. Well, anyway, but what I'm saying to you and to our viewers and to the listening audience, we used to call it Fillmore. But myself, I call it the Phil No Mo. We can't feel it no more. And to further say to our president, commissioner, I respect you to the utmost. None of y'all was around back in the days. A few of them was around. If you think that this was unorderly, I mean, just saying things that have come from our heart, you ought to have been back here 15, 10, 20 years ago when there was the PAC and other community people come up here and speak for the commissioners. So you just got to respect sometimes we get emotional and I'm not up here to uh, apologize for no one just to say this ace in your face yes I'd like to compliment um, on the, um, the agenda that y'all passed for the tax money that was going to be taken out of our area into another area my, my main concern is like for certificate holders and I don't know if you know you're taking that money and putting it in another area if you stay in the Western Edition, the Western and somebody from Bayview come and you certificate holders and the Western Edition person comes first. So if we were to go to Third Street and they maybe have only three below market income places, but y'all use funds from our W you know, from the Western Edition to build these places and there were three Bayview people called, their names will go above the Western Edition. So my thing is, if you're taking money from the Western Edition to build homes, how are y'all going to make it evenly? So would it, would, if a person from the Western Edition was called and a baby person was called, would it go, okay, the Western Edition person was called first, so that person's name stays first? Or if that person from the baby was called last, that person's name goes before the person in the Western Edition. So my thing is, how are y'all going to fix that? If y'all are using money for the Western Edition to build places somewhere else. So how are y'all going to fix the, the, the normal thing with the certificates, how they do it for, per district? That's what I want to know. So are, if, is it going to be fixed where it doesn't matter? If you're a certificate holder, your name is called, you just go there. You know, so... That's my main concern. No more cards, Madam President. Thank you. I will close public comment. The next order of business is the item seven report of the President, Madam President. Uh, thank you. I, I don't really have a report. I, again, uh, think that this was an important meeting for us to have. Uh, the transition. Um, from the Western Edition um, is a matter that has concerned us and consumed our energies for some time and will continue to do so um, for at least uh, the next six months. I am 
very aware of um, some of the comments from uh, people who did speak tonight about there still being a lot of confusion in their minds as to what this really means. So I would really uh, like the staff and our executive director uh, to come up with a way to make things more plain uh, for people. This whole PowerPoint uh, presentation is an excellent start. Um, we need to go from this huge bowl of soup down to a bullion cube and distribute it to people so that they are aware of what that means. Uh, the resources that are available to us are KPU and our municipal television station, and so I think we should have some information-based uh, PSAs about these particular things and also to let people know about the new um, granting opportunities that will be available. I want to thank my fellow commissioners for their time and uh, attention to these matters. The next order of business is item 8, report of the executive director. Mr. Director. Thank you, Madam Secretary. Um, just to respond to the President, we will um, definitely make every effort to be much more clear in the communication about uh, what is going on and um, much more frequent in that communication as well and use a, a variety of venues. Um, I wanted to uh, thank the staff at the Redevelopment Agency that actually put a a lot of time into today's uh, presentation, particularly on the transition plan, and thank the other members of the city family who have frankly uh, worked very cooperatively uh, with the agency staff on um, many elements of this, um, what was presented today. The only other thing I would want to do is point your attention to one of the informational memos uh, that's in your packet. It is the RFP for Parcel C. Um, and it is the Mary Helen Rogers Senior Community um, um, Parcel. Um, we, in case there, unless there is an objection, would like to release that RFP um, and search for a development team to uh, implement that project. Executive Director, how much time do commissioners have to get back to you concerning that RFP as presented? Um, I think I'm... Director Lee, I think the uh, Deputy Executive, I think there's a, a time that we were suggesting that we would release the RFP a date. Um, uh, Deputy Executive uh, Olson Lee, um, I don't have the, uh, the exact timing on that, and um, I don't have my memo in front of me. So there would be, a, um, I think, in the informational memo, a, a, um, a proposed release date. Okay. Well, how about? The next, does next meeting, by next meeting work, which is oh. Tuesday? I think that would be sufficient time for all commissioners to uh, touch bases with you uh, if they feel they need to do so. The next order of business is item 9, commissioners' questions and matters. Madam President. Commissioners. Move to adjourn. Is that all that matters? <laughs> this meeting is hereby adjourned. Thank you. SFG.
TV, San Francisco Government Television.